Poor unfortunate lads and lasses are listening to an A to Z of UK TV drama with me, Andy. And me, Martin. How you doing? I'm doing better for hearing your marvellous Australian accent. <laughs> God, that makes one of you. <laughs> so, yes. Um, yeah, no. Hello. Yes. Uh, where are we? We're up to the letter D, aren't we? We yeah? are. D already. Crikey. Yes. Uh, oh, we... <laughs> no, that was quite very quick. Yes, we're about to do Riley Ace of Spies. No. Oh, no. It's dreadful. Oh. Don't. We're not doing that. I'm, I'm going to have to go spending no, again. No, don't worry. <laughs> I'll, I'll happily lend you my copy, copy permanently. <laughs> what, pray? You haven't thrown it upon the bonfire? I only... Bonfire listen, of the vanities. I only bonfired one. It was Bonfire of the Vanities. That's absolutely what it was, actually. That's the only DVD I've ever consigned to a bonfire. That would probably be a pointless answer. No. <laughs> right. Yes, so, sorry, uh, sensible, 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 yes, the A to Z of UK TV drama. Yeah, in our best BBC uh, cut glass accent. Uh, this time, yes, we're, 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 we're doing another book adaptation. <laughs> we're going to do another book adaptation, aren't we? Which is kind of weird, because it also sort of doesn't fit in with the other ones we've been doing recently. Okay. So that's quite strange. Mm. So we are doing Day of the Triffids. <gasps> Day of the Triffs, yeah, the Triffs. Yes. Yes, it's the 1981 adaptation by the BBC, six parts, which ran from, I believe, the 10th of September 1981 to the 15th of October, which makes it part of the big new season on BBC One. <laughs> Good accent there as well. Uh, well, it was, what I mean is it was probably quite, sort of as quite prestigious. Well, it, ha- it won the Radio Times cover, and I remember that Radio Times well, cover very well of, of John Duttine. John Duttine? Joe hmm. Duttine? John? Joe, mm. John, John, oh, John, John. and Emma, Emma, Emma Ralph. And Emma Ralph, who's never in anything else. Yes. Um, no, <laughs> we, we'll come to that. Yes, we will. It's very never, odd casting. Never in anything else other than a yellow jumpsuit. <laughs> yes. So this was the adaptation <laughs> of John Wyndham's novel, which had previously been terribly adapted for film in 1961. Um, but with Caroline Ford, so big tick. Yeah, I know, but she's only in it briefly as a blind woman. She's, she has one of the best scenes. Tick. Best scenes, though. <laughs> and it was a success. Hooray! But unfortunately, poor old John Wyndham didn't get to see it. He'd already carked it. So he didn't oh. see his... Probably the best, one of the best adaptations of his work, come to the screen. Mm. 
Um, directed by Ken Hannam, who had recently directed mm. The Assassination Run and The Treachery Game with the very lovely Mary Tam. Mm. And produced by David Maloney. Maloney, Baloney. So all of us here present know he was a Doctor Who producer and director. And, of course, he produced Blake Seven. Series bah, one of the series. Yeah, thank you. Yes, he did. Yeah, and he was meant to actually move on straight from Blake Seven to Triffids, but right. But there was a recording um, delay on Triffids or something. It was a production delay, so instead he money won it. Oh, was it? He went to do When the Boat Comes In instead. The last series of When the Boat Comes In. <laughs> no, but it's, honestly, it's the best series of When the Boat Comes In. Nineteen eighty one. It's fantastic. It all just. No, I was just trying gah. to work out whether. If he'd not done that in between, how how different this might have looked. Well, exactly. But I know it's it's really odd. It just shows that that it, it doesn't matter in a way who's producing because he could, they mm. can produce very different things. But yes. Mm. So we have this dramatization of mm. the Day of the Triffids. So tell me about um, tell me the synopsis before we get into our memories of it. The synopsis. Well, I, I'll read you oh. as I have been. I've been known to do. I've been. Uh, I've been starting to read uh, copyright uh, restrictions notwithstanding. <laughs> the uh, the back of the DVD. I feel they're public domain when they're when they're in the uh, DVD uh, cover. Um, I feel that that's something that you could sort of read off a shelf. So I feel that's perfectly all right. So basically, the original ad- uh, the original BBC adaptation of John Wyndham's classic story of post-apocalyptic apocalyptic survival, yes. starring John Dutine, Emma Ralph, Who? and Maurice <laughs> Ralph, <laughs> and Maurice Ralph, 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 and. and <laughs> Is there any? I can't remember if there's any dogs in it. Actually, there is a dog in it, yes. And Maurice Colborne. The BBC's adaptation Ruff. of John Wyndham's... Cl- <laughs> of John Wyndham's classic novel has been hailed, 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 as an atmospheric, gripping and faithful production. Ruff. Ruff. The, the brainchild, the brainchild of Blix 7 producer... David Maloney, this post-apocalyptic series was broadcast in 1981 when fears of a nuclear... This is a, this is a link. I thought this. fears of a, a nuclear Armageddon were at their height. No, they weren't. Earlier in the 70s, yes, not in 81. <laughs> earlier this week, they were. Yes, this week and earlier in the 70s, but not in 1981. You're wrong. Carry on. The series generated cult appeal that had the longevity to considered an influence on 2002's 28 Days Later. Who cares? It's 2002. It's an old film. We don't care. But it's an influence. Somebody basically said, oh, that's a bit like that film. That's a bit like that TV series. I used to watch. But only the Triffids one, not the other BBC Survivors one that went on for three series. No, no. Anyway, following the Earth's close encounter with a comet... Close encounter with a comet, allegedly. A meteor shower strikes Britain's population blind. We don't know about the rest of the world. We don't care. No, uh, we're British, damn it. It's only yeah, about whether we survive. Mason, yes, we were basically in our little Brexity little little island. And the rest of the world may not be blind, but we don't care. And they've left us to basically stew in our own juice. Yeah. Anyway, uh, population blind. Bill Mason, recovering in a London hospital, a really crummy London hospital, <laughs> from a vicious plant attack. <laughs> what he got? He had overdose. He had a bit too much weed. Some daffodils fell on him. He's one of the yeah. 
is one of <laughs> the cactus. Yeah. He pricked his finger on a cactus. Yeah. Yes. And it blinded him. Yes. Is one of a few to survive with eyesight intact. The world he emerges into has already terrifyingly altered. Ruff, 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 ruff. Yes, well, he hasn't met her okay. The government has collapsed. Hurrah! Bands of <laughs> renegades are thriving in the anarchy. No, are they? A band, are they? I believe. Are they thriving? <laughs> are they? Well, well, there's that, there's that one you see. <laughs> and a hostile, carnivorous form of plant life, the Triffids, have begun to prey on the weakened and vulnerable human population. For Mason life is now a desperate struggle. What is it? I'd like to apologise to listeners for that terrible <laughs> accent then. I don't know what it was, but um, I hope you understood the end of that synopsis. Thank you. So. So that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> well, that told the whole story, didn't it? So I, I take issue with lots of that. Number one, the brainchild of Blake yes. Seven producer David Maloney. Well, it's not his brainchild. All he did was produce I'll do a that. series. You know, yeah. it's not his brainchild. Maybe the the style of it, yes, but it's actually really faithful to the book. So it's it's really is John Wyndham's brainchild. Sorry, wrong. Well, you know these these idiots who yeah. write stuff. Next DVD covers. What did they know? Next nuclear Armageddon in eighty one. No, not the height. Twenty eight days later. Yes, perhaps one of the influences. But if you actually watch twenty eight days later, I have. Because when I did the Survivors releases, which I produced, darling, no one ever knows that, that I've never talked about that all the time. Um, no, we no, actually no, called no. those box set, the first box set, 28 years later, because it came out the oh. same year, you see, or that year after. But the influences on 28 Days Later by Survivors were much stronger. There was actually loads of set pieces mm. that were just the same, more than Triffids. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. So I imagine Andrew Pixley wrote the back cover because he wrote the booklet. And whenever I did DVDs, I had to write the back cover as well as the booklet. So it's right. Andrew Pixley is wrong. <gasps> I said Andrew Pixley was wrong on a podcast and Doctor Who fans are listening. Well, well no, the, the, the assumption that he wrote the notes. <laughs> but it's, it's hard to sell, isn't it? You've got to try. I mean, let's face it. People look at the cover of this and go, yeah, what is it about? And they look at the back and they think, oh, what? like, I like Blake Seven. I like David Maloney. <laughs> Oh, I might just have that. We might also say, I like Emma Ralph. But it's less likely. Well, yeah. Poor. Blesser. Yes. Bless Emma. Um, so, um, bless Emma. Yes. So, uh, can I ask a sidebar question for you? If you were oh, doing the back cover and you were promoting the mm. fact that John Duttin and Maurice Colburn were in it, which <clears> programmes would you say in brackets after their names so people remembered who they were? To serve them all my days. Yes. Possibly. Uh, uh, Morris Colburn. Well, Howard's. Howard's of the way. Okay. Ooh, or Attack of the Shadow. Attack of the Cybermen. <laughs> for John Dutton, I'd also, in, I'd also make a shout. He's in that, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he is. I would also make a shout for Lame Ducks for John Dutton, which I used to uh, love that. Course. Well, Lame Ducks is difficult because nobody seems to remember we it. We do. You can't get hold of it for love we nor money. We do. John Dutton and Lorraine Chase. It was gorgeous. Right. Lovely series. Have you got a copy? I don't. No, have you? No. Has anybody? No. Precisely. We're not going to be. Well, yeah, I, it's comedy anyway, isn't it? Is, it's not is a, drama. Yeah, yeah, but but I don't know. Maybe maybe we should talk about comedy that drama <gasps> next hour. Anyway, no, no, just just instead of this. Um, no. <laughs> no, we should talk about this. We've got lots to say. Whew, yes. So tell me, cast your mind back, Martin, to those heady mm. days 
1981. Mm. I'm sure you were a first-time oh. viewer, as I was. Uh, I was. I was. I was 17. Ooh, years old. and how did? So I was actually. I would have been in the midst of. Uh, well, it would be my A-level year, wouldn't it? Mm. So did you go to bed with fevered worry about Triffids slapping their tongues against your window? I actually remember. I think I did watch it, but I don't remember it having much of an impact. Oh. It's weird because I, I sometimes get very um, disturbed by stuff I I see mm. in things. Ideas sometimes just haunt me a bit. you know. So there are ideas from some shows that, that sort of stick with me and and i was watching this again this week and thought you know what there's a lot of ideas in this that actually are quite awful mm. but i don't really remember any of them sort of sticking me now there is always a chance there's a fair old chat i don't remember which night of the week this was on but there's always a chance that maybe i i didn't see it all uh and maybe i i do remember the first episode i remember very vividly the guy with the bandages mm. in the hospital i remember that very very clearly but uh, maybe I was I was sat there being a teenager thinking, oh, look at that woman in the yellow jumpsuit. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> it just didn't, it really didn't, it didn't make the impression. It's one of those things, because it does feature in my thesis, it does feature in stuff I've thought about, and I do mention it, yeah. but I don't remember particularly being, oh, yeah, I must, you know, I really must big up. Now, I mean, this is... Um, September, October, eighty-one. So we're probably we're between we're after Legopolis, but before Castrovalva, aren't we? In terms of <laughs> yes, in terms in of sense. of that sort of science fiction telly thing going on. So a six a six part serial mm. of a sort of science fictiony nature. I feel I would have been gripped by, but for some reason, I I just don't get the impression that I really was. So for me, um. Mm. I remember the Radio Times cover, so I think that's why we watched it. But it was also the mm. the summer of our discontent when Papa left us, um, and ah. we we didn't know what was happening. So I kind of mm. threw myself into television. It's when I escaped into Secret mm. Army and all that stuff. Um, mm. But definitely watched it, utterly gripped, mm. terrified by the Triffids, mm. and mm. definitely watched it again on the repeat in '84, the big repeat in '84. Mm. And um, yeah, absolutely you'd lapped have, it. You'd up. have been about. I was nine. Yeah, nine, nine and twelve. Nine, yeah, nine, okay. so it's mm. kind of very much part of my televisual landscape, and mm. I was terrified and utterly gripped mm. and probably completely the right age. Watching it again, mm. I would I mm. felt like it was more childlike than I remembered, slightly less mm. sophisticated, but um, mm. we can come to that. Mm. So, how do we want to do this? Do we want to go into episode one? Um, yeah, I, 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 I think I, one of the things that interests me um, before we get into that okay, is, yeah. that, is, is apocalypse, apocalypse dramas, if I can say it, apocalypse dramas generally. Yeah. Uh, I am usually quite terrified by apocalypse dramas. It's not necessarily the apocalypse itself that bothers me. Hmm. But it's what people do. Yeah, of um, course. Where, and if all... The, I mean, I, I can be quite dismissive sometimes of the structure of society and sometimes I find the way society is held together and the things that we do 
are a little bit suspect and I might have a lot of criticism to make, but that's because I live in a free society where I'm allowed to criticise those things yeah. without you know, getting carted away and beaten with big sticks. Usually. Yet. But, <laughs> well, yet, yeah, it's, it's coming, I can see that. But the interesting thing to me is that the apocalypse, what it does is it takes away that sense of law and order uh-huh. and leaves a form of anarchy that yeah. when people try and rebuild or make something of what's left of society, the the very worst humans seem to rise to the top. Exactly. And my problem, I think, is that when these things uh, are on television or they are adapted or they are, you know, they, they turn up, I am reminded that actually people are not really... When, nice. when it comes to it, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not great. And, no. and and not great people. We basically the biggest guy, the the the, the bullyingest people, or or the you know the people with the the most guns or the most muscles or the most you know threatening attitude tend to be the ones who rise to the top in these circumstances. And you wonder how long it took for society to get from that, which is only really a thousand years ago, maybe even less, from the biggest guy with you know with the biggest sword being the the guy who was on top of the tree to something more cerebral if you like and cerebral basically doesn't seem to matter anymore even though these apocalypse dramas make a great thing of we need to learn things because actually what tends to happen is people talk about the fact that we need to learn things but But nobody seems to want to do that they just seem to want to basically take and take and take and and work on their own survival i mean but it's funny this because watching this, I really thought it was Survivor's Light. Yeah, it felt like Survivor. I mean, I, I'm you know, a big fan of Survivor's three series. Yeah. about five years before this. Yeah, and uh, but that sort of told these stories with uh, a slightly more trickle effect. Is the fact that there were consequences and and it followed on and you saw the outcomes of of some of the uh, these kinds of actions and events. Yeah. So but- this. Yeah. version felt like you were getting kind of slices of that but without getting all of it absolutely I, mean. I, I agree um i think yeah i love apocalyptic dramas i think i did now i feel like it's a trope that's quite tired you just um, live in it <laughs> well there's part of that it's like it's it's too close to home because it's it's not been a great time anywhere mm. in the last few years but um i, I know survivors so well you know i've kind mm. of studied it so forensically and written about it mm. so forensically that it's it's almost hard to go back to all of that stuff mm. but um but yeah i think we're we're always so close humanity is always so close to just going back to those the law of the jungle and and all mm. of that stuff and i think it's a very accurate depiction of what would happen and i do think mm. it would be like this that the strong mm. people the people with guns the people would be selfish and mm. And the cerebral stuff would go out the window, but that just goes to show how fragile our society is. And I think it's the fragility of society that worries me more than anything else when I watch these things. And I think, well, actually, yeah, this would be the situation, um, and it would be well, worse. If you take, the, t- if you take the two in parallel, I mean, survivors basically was it ninety nine percent of the population are just not. Yeah, it dead. was. It was a and, lot more. Yeah, and 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 you get basically. Um, a, a, a society that's built with that one percent and and surpri- surprisingly amounts of, of unworthy <laughs> for want of a better word the people you wish hadn't survived <laughs> there's a lot of them uh in this one 
everybody survives, but eventually you, I, I mean, you get the impression that a lot of them stay indoors to, or have been pretty much de deaded fairly rapidly, yeah. because there's not actually this this sense of uh, epic, sort of worldwide um, influence of of what happens in this. It's a very this is a very domestic apocalypse yeah. to a certain extent it, you, you see little nuggets of it but you don't see the broader picture yeah it's very anglo-centric because like survivors you start with the chinese scientists you know it's come from all that way over there and mm. yeah we're affected but everyone's affected well I, ju I just really mean that you don't you don't sort of you know as they as they drive around there aren't loads of people sort of staggering round blind they've presumably all been got by the triffids at this stage but it's you know we're all eaten by triffids effect effectively there's quite but, a lot, though, lying around. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think in, there are some scenes that are uh, that, that that feature a lot of people, but actually, once you get into the sort of second and third episode, you don't really get the impression of True. of the six, sixty odd million people. Oh yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, been, no, you're right. Have been, yeah. You know, have been blinded and staggering about, going, "Where's the food?" and 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 all that kind of thing. I mean, I think in episode three or four, you basically he comes across a woman who's trying to open. Can of coffee, or yes, and he gives her a can of beans and a can of. Uh, but that is kind of like the latest sort of sense that you get of that sort of panic on the streets thing. Yeah, and I uh, guess the that's, panic that's... on the streets thing sort of is very much in the background of. Yeah, this, and I guess that's the a, a BBC a BBC drama budget constraint and mm. and survivors. There's a great play of the fact that it's the pandemic happens off screen largely, and I think it's the same mm. as this, just because. Logistically, it's impossible on that that budget. And uh, and the other thing is, I was kind of thinking, in in some ways, it's quite domestic, uh, a, a small scale to a certain extent. Like um, the changes, you get that apocalypse, which is a different kind of apocalypse. I accept that, but but that it's again played very small scale, and everything everything gets quite cozy quite quickly. That but that's children's drama, and it's kind of. Has, and I think that's also what I, what I felt though, because I felt I did feel it felt quite, quite childlike. Mm. But it was probably being aimed at your teenager more than it was to adults. Oh, um, possibly. I would do wonder, and a lot of the is that, yeah, hmm? is that the possibly the, the you know the the Sunday classic adaptations of novels theory. Or... I don't know when it. I don't remember when this went out. I don't think it went out on no. that in the classic slot. But it was. No. I think it's. It was very much. It's very action packed, isn't it? And it's mm. fun, and exciting, because there's monsters. It's kind of effectively mm. going to going to appeal to your Doctor Who and Blake 7 audience mm. so and the fact that it's David Maloney I mean he would have mm. a, an eye on what would work for that audience I just think it mm. was it was interesting that it, it felt as you said Survivor's Light it was mm. light on theme and and lots of discussion it was very bare mm. in terms of dialogue actually I was surprised mm. considering mm. each episode is only 26 minutes long mm. there's not an awful lot of dialogue and there's Not a full exposition. Yeah, no. there's a few no. key scenes, but very, mm. very little when you consider how how mm. how survival. A lot, runs. a lot goes unsaid within yeah. within it. Uh, yeah. which again is is no bad thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, it's, it's... what what struck me that what struck me the most this time watching it was how cinema how the cinematography was really important, how the direction was important, and there were so mm. many set sort of like ways that scenes were constructed by mm. Ken Hannam and. It was clear mm. he wanted these shots and that shot, and mm. there was thought as to how things would be, you know, what angles scenes would be mm. from, and from low angles or from high angles. And I just thought it was it was directed more like a film 
Mm. And I was also struck by just how much location filming there was. So mm. much. Couldn't believe yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, there's this kind of turnaround in it as well, isn't there? Because when you think about Terry Nation, for example, creating Survivors, you feel that he must have been aware of Day of the Triffids as a as a concept. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he must have read it. You know, there are there are elements that turn up in this that feel very Terry Nation. Really. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> but uh, very Terry Nation, particularly. Mm. I mean, the people in Land Rovers with guns. I mean, that's a Terry Nation. Tr- mm. Nation. And there's also uh, a couple of uh, moments in the plot. I mean, in the first episode a lot of exposition comes through he's talking into a tape recorder to an unseen friend that has given him a tape recorder to help who him turned out blind. who turned out to be my friend edmund Pegg. bless him ah well there we go yeah we know very little about them you know for example what do you think that is when they rattle their sticks against their stem well, I thought we decided it was a sort of uh, primitive mating call. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. I think they're talking. Talking? I've been thinking that for some time. Now I'm prepared to say so. Well, to you, anyway. I went to dinner with him in Adelaide a few years ago. Oh, there we go. And later on, there's also the uh, he's writing a letter... <laughs> To, to Ralph <laughs> as to Jew sorry Jew later on yeah but these but don't you think those those devices were quite clumsy um, well that's what I'm saying it, it, that's where the literary roots that's where it becomes the book yeah I, my favourite line my favourite line that really made me laugh out loud was when mm. he's writing to Edmund Pegg's character and he says and I went to work on a Triffid, Triffid farm and so did you and you know the rest <laughs> <laughs> it was like what that was terrible dialogue please yeah, well, fair enough i mean you know he's supposed to be talking into a microphone and that's a... bloody difficult when you've got have, nobody to I talk know, to have another go at that line please someone oh that was hilarious that really made me laugh out loud that meant that triffids were very lovely and very big business and as I felt I had a bond with them, I went to work on a Triffid farm, and so did you, and you know the rest. Uh, episode one is an interesting uh, well, let's, thing. Let's get into it. Let's get into one. Be- because it's almost a, a one-person you know, one uh, yeah. performance. And it, basically you've got John Dettine in, or John Dettine, in bandages in a hospital bed. <laughs> and... And basically, everything he's doing is like, what? what's going on? I mean, you ask yourself, I genuinely do. This is the thing that my, my first thing I wrote down for this was, how does an apocalypse start? You know? Right. And because the idea is that there you are, la da da, you go to bed, you've had your, you've had your late night cup of tea at the, in the hospital, and the, the nurse will all be hospital. around tomorrow, take, take yeah. off your bandages tomorrow morning, yeah. Mr. Mason. Yeah. And. And then obviously that doesn't happen, and uh, and you feel you you spend the night missing out on what you think is a party because I'm going, oh look at the fireworks, look at the fireworks, <laughs> because they're all basically this this astronomical event, this yes. uh, comet theoretically, although yeah. later on it's questioned whether it was a comet, but anyway, this this lights in the sky thing that basically gets everybody outdoors as it would, except in Derbyshire because it'd be cloudy. Um, <laughs> We'd you'd be fine. You'd be fine. You'd, you, but then you'd become Triffid meat later. Don't forget. We'd be just going. Well, what's, what? Oh, we can't see nothing. I'm watching the telly. <laughs> <laughs> I feel less people would be blinded by this than on a rainy day. <laughs> but anyway. By anyway. The what, what's your point, but, Martin? Um, 
no, so so how does an apocalypse this, happen? That was it. Wasn't this it? this this consequential stuff, and then the next morning it's a bit quiet, you know. Yeah. There's no traffic noise. There's no, and you and and you 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 kind of have to. You're blind in a hospital, and the world as you know it has ended, and it's so mundane, almost so inconsequential, and yeah. Yet, that's probably how an apocalypse would begin. You know, you'd be going to the shops one day when someone nukes Sheffield. You know, it's yeah. it's it, it's that it's parochial, pathetic how yeah. how society's knotted together by and one very you know five minute interval interlude can change everything. And that to me is one of the more frightening aspects of these things. You can go along, you can order your DVDs or your books online, you can go to the shops, and everything you know that you hold dear. Can literally by the t- by before it's delivered or before you've got, yeah. got back from buying your petrol, it can all change. everything has changed. And we're kind of conned into believing that that there's safeguards and there's structure mm. and safety in place because of the trappings mm. of everyday life and the routines we get into. And well, that's that wonderfully sweaty scene in episode two, isn't it, with Stephen Yardley, your mate Stephen Yardley? I don't who, know. I who... don't know. I've met him once, but he's not my mate. <laughs> Your mate Stephen Yardley. He was lovely. In, his, in, in yet another vest. He always seems to be wearing vests. I don't know. Well, he's got quite a good bod. He's got quite uh, a good he? bod. Oh, I'll take your word for that. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, the point is that he's he's um, you know he's he's still thinking. Oh well, the government will sort it out. Someone will come. Every, someone will sort everything out. We'll be fine. Yeah. And of course, as a society, we know that's probably not the case. They've either buggered off in their gold helicopters to their private islands. <laughs> Well, I don't think people would think that now. I think people mm. are so over um, government and politics, mm. they'll be like, no one's coming to save us. They've all fucked mm. off. I think that's what most people would think now, actually, mm. which is depressing. Even which more would depressing. make the apocalypse even worse! What I like about this first episode is how it starts mm. so small. And I think it's mm. quite confident that they just start with Bill and they put all mm. of the all of the um, work has to go to John Duttine. I suppose a bit of the camera work. But it's weird, isn't it? Because, again, the soundtrack is saying, oh, well, it must still be the middle of the night because there's no one about. And, yeah. of course, you're thinking, it's broad daylight. And, yes. and you're shown the clock that he can't see. And Which all. is wonderful. And that is That's nice. nice. Yeah, nice time. It is. Um, and then, of course, we get the surprising flashbacks. Now, there's three yeah. flashbacks. And mm. some of the flashbacks work better than others. <laughs> Let's just say that the weird, well, the, the weird the two business, people in a room businessman one is, the, is yeah, very the business odd. bullshit. The business bullshit, um, yeah, uh, scene which you know about vegetable oil and and how we're going to make our our sod off. You know, I mean, I, I know businessmen basically, as far as I'm concerned, are are just I, I can't deal with them anymore. Well, regardless I mean, all, of them, all these people who watch the Bloody Apprentice every week, why do you but, encourage but, these bastards? But, regardless of them being businessmen. This was the scene mm. that reminded me the most of Doomwatch. I felt like we were watching right. an episode of Doomwatch briefly. Yes. And I was yeah, like, I oh, God, it. this is very brown and beige. Mm. And they're talking about something that's not very interesting. And I think it's, in terms of narr- narrative... <laughs> in terms of narrative... What's ten- oh, yes. In terms of narrative flow, though, it was kind of really... I found it really jarring and odd that he was suddenly talking about a business meeting that had happened in the past that he wasn't present at. It was very weird. It, wouldn't it be interesting, though, if they'd actually put a clip of Doomwatch in there? Where well, it, it well, it felt like a clip from Doomwatch to me. <laughs> so if that was the... It's a missing were, episode If that's Doomwatch what they were going for, it did really it. well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I suppose you have a proposition. Shall we come to it? 
The plant from which this oil is obtained is a completely new species. I might be able to provide you with the seeds of this plant. If you commence cultivation at once, you could begin production of the oil in five years' time, or it might be six for full yield. You would still be in advance of your competitors. On the other hand, I could always come to an arrangement with the competitors. <laughs> I think you will find they are not approachable or suppressible. You mean they're behind the Iron Curtain? <laughs> And then you had the lovely little one of him when he was younger with his with his father and all that stuff and the Oh yeah. I loved what I love most about that little story is how the father was so angry at the Triffid and stabbed it to death and hacked it down because it had hurt his boy. And I remember thinking at the time, I don't think my dad would have done that. <laughs> I think my dad would have said, You went too near it, it's your fault or something like that. You ruined my plant, you bastard. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It was a whole other scenario going through my head. I I keenly recall. But um, yes, I liked how much he loved his son and he sort of like, I'm going to stab you to death. That was good. (laughs) And of course, in later later, that sort of vegetation uh, spade thing, you do see that again. Yes, I love those bits. Whenever they get it with a pitchfork, good Because they look like proper plants, don't they? They actually do. They've got the quite real vegetation Yeah, meshy, they do. The the special effects are are pretty darn good. There's uh, there's also a very good sequence uh, in that first episode, which is the uh, cinema flashback. You know, the old Oh, I forgot about that one. There's four. Okay, yes. Yeah, and they are where where they're going out of the, oh look at the funny walking plants in the funny foreign exactly. country yes and that's felt I real. think I think that's particularly there because what that's doing yeah is you you know it's a BBC sci-fi yeah you know the audience are going to be sitting at home going that looks rubbish yeah but what they do is they immediately do that the audience are already going yeah we've, we've, we know they look silly. We know they look silly. We've got this sequence yes, that's that clever? right there at the top. And yeah. it's, it's a really clever way of saying, you might find that they look silly, but bloody hell, they're dangerous. Yeah, they're going to hurt you, man. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I just felt that was a really clever... The I've, I sometimes felt maybe the effects people were going, go, the people were on location or something going, oh, they look a bit shit, don't they, Stuart? And, <laughs> or Steve or whatever. And, you go, and it's like, okay, well, if we, if we pretend that we know the shit... <laughs> yes, there's an element of... Uh, that really does work, actually, the way it introduces you, because it also blindsides you because they they're seen as 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 a fun element in that, mm. even though we know it's sinister, but mm. um, because they're presented as fun in that in that movie reel, that yeah, mm. this is actually they're not you've got to take these guys seriously. Well, now, folks, get a load of what's going on in Ecuador. Vegetables on vacation. You've only seen this kind of thing after a party, but down in sunny Ecuador, they see it any time, and no hangover to follow. Monster plants on the march. Seeing this gives me a big idea. Maybe if we educate our potatoes right, we can fix it so they walk straight in the pot. How'd that be, Mama? And then we have Edmund Pegg and him working at the research station. Now, the problem I have with both him and... Well, mainly Bill, actually. Mm. Bill, for reasons I do not understand, all the way through the series, every episode, always denies it when people say say that, that they know more or they understand things that we don't think they do. And he keeps saying, mm. no, they're just plants. And I'm like, he's mm. such a shit research scientist, Bill Mason is, honestly. <laughs> he's the last person who's going to solve things later on when he gets that position right at the end. Mm. Because 
he honestly is not interested in any of these things. And every time anyone says anything, he's like, mm. no, 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 they're just plants. No, they can't hear us. Mm. They can't listen. They can't speak. All these people mm. come up with these really plausible theories, like mm. Edmund Pegg's, which was that they're actually talking to each other. And he's like, no, mm. it's nonsense. He's mm. such a denier of everything. It's just mm. bizarre. <laughs> did you not find, Did you not think that? Do you not think there's people like that at Longley? And they go, no, the baboons are harmless. <laughs> <laughs> just... It's just so weird. It's like all this evidence, and he was—he yeah, should have tearing bits off your car. That's just the no, no. It's not a sign of intelligence. It's, no, it's just playful. And even when it gets They're just playing, even though it gets to the point like thousands, no more. Like, the Triffids are there, more populous mm. than anywhere else because they are there, and mm. he's still not really putting two and two together. I think he's starting mm. to, but honestly. Mm. But maybe he's one of these scientists who wants to prove anything before any sort of wild mm. theories are accepted. Maybe he's just a very scientific. Well, there is a sort of tendency, isn't there, to just dismiss the, the you know the wilder sort of tabloidy kind of yeah. you know, my killer plant talks to me headlines. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's and, it. And, and maybe he's just he's more of a you know he's more of a realist. He's more of a pragmatist. But I don't I don't think he is because he's. He's actually, he, like you say, he's just a denier. He just seems yeah. to. He doesn't. He seems to. There's. We see evidence of them tapping and communicating and 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 ganging up together to make <laughs> and attacks. And he's like, no, 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 And we never went to the moon. No, no. <laughs> it's very odd. Honestly, I'd never noticed that before, but it struck me yeah. really strongly this time. Walter, a trivet is a plant. Now, a talking plant is ridiculous. A walking plant is ridiculous. But a trivet walks. Well, it, it moves about. Well, that's quibbling. It walks. And if I write and it talks, or if you want to quibble, communicates, that means somewhere inside it is intelligence. But we've dissected them. We know there's no brain. That doesn't prove there isn't something that does a brain's job. Look at when they attack. They almost always go for the head. Now, a great number of people who have been... Uh, Stung, but not killed. Have been blinded. That's significant. Of what? Of the fact they know the shortest way of putting a man out of action. This episode I also called The Men of Tenko. Because the then we get because we got Jonathan Newth suddenly appeared as Doctor Soames. Oh yes, of course. Yes, so you got and of course that's an interesting uh, uh, comparison, isn't it? Because he is the one with the eyesight, and then he is the one who is blind, and their role reversal is yes, quite a, an interesting. Yes, that's clever. That's nice. It's it's quite interesting, and of course uh, you get do get a flashback with to a couple of days early when he was chatting to the nurse, you know, or, or the night before when he yeah, was chatting. Yeah, the night before, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is an, a nice scene. Mm. So yes, um, so Jonathan Newth and Edmund Pegg, who were Bernard and mm. Clifford in Tenko. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's not many men in Tenko, so to have them both in one episode seems very unlikely. <laughs> I was waiting for Daniel um, Daniel Hill to turn mm. up, but no. Distinct lack of the women of Tenko, we know. Apart from one. Well, one. We'll come to her later. Yes. We get a lovely episode ending, don't we? With Edmund Pegg lying dead with a triffid sting on him at the research centre, and the triffids mm. all got out. <gasps> Dun, dun, dun. An, an awful lot, I feel, is done with uh, music and graphics on, on this. You know, yeah. The opening sequence. I, I, Let's I must talk about admit, that. I, Let's talk about the title sequence. Well, you get this, this basically people, sort of close-ups of people strangely yeah. lit 
looking at the strangely lit sky, or lit by the strangely lit sky. Yeah. And, and I was kind of, I was trying to work out, I don't think any of them are actually in it, are they? They just seem to be... No. And I was, I was convinced one of them was you and Solon every time. I was like, I'm sure that's you and Solon. <laughs> but, you know, it's just extreme close-ups on, on people who may well have been the production team for all we know. Yeah. Uh, being lit by the... And, of course, one of them then gets swiped by this this sting, you know, but yours again, sort of clouds. But it's just very effective. Musically, the soundscape uh, yeah. is very effective on this. The, you know, the, the, the noises that the Triffids make are actually quite... You know, the, the rattling, yeah. Um, it's so memorable as well that I, I imagine if I was walking through a wood and I heard that noise, I would shit my pants. <laughs> like, oh my God! I would know exactly what it was. It's so memorable and distinctive. Yeah, in fact, I must do that to someone. <laughs> Shit your pants out the... No, no. No, no. Well, yeah, <laughs> shit my pants in front of someone. Yeah, that's that's nice. What are you talking about, you weirdo? <laughs> Sorry, I you said I must do that at someone. I thought that was the last thing I heard you. I thought, what? No, 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 you mean... Play the, noise the triffid of the noise triffid. Triffid. whilst walking noise. in a wood. You should get it as a ringtone. Oh, it's so funny. Honestly, it'd be good. You'd have the right laugh. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Look, look, at <laughs> <laughs> look at those laundry bills. Yes, no. Anyway, so I think we need to move on to episode well, it, two. It, what? Yeah. No, I was just going to say that there are, there are always interesting things. I mean, there are two things that do strike me just before we, we move on. Oh, the, the oh, one, let's the, let's pause and listen to these two things. No, it's it's just <laughs> that the um. The, the, the apocalypse is always apparently going to happen because we can't get Radio 4, and that does happen in this. <laughs> yes, exactly. And um, I think the other thing the other thing was that the hospital, because mm-hmm. at the end of the episode we get him walking around the now abandoned or empty hospital. Yeah. And I just really wanted to say, I mean, the state of the NHS in the 1980s was not great, but it's a really shitty hospital. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it was. I think that's what hospitals were like in 1981. And I'll tell you for why. Because I, I spent quite a few months in a hospital in, well, mm. 1978. Because right. I was dying of bacterial pneumonia. No one knew what it was. My parents came mm. to say goodbye to me. Um, I but didn't realise... But you failed to die. I failed <laughs> to die. Did you? I did. I failed to die. My, my classmates were sending very heartfelt messages. And I didn't quite understand why they were so heartfelt. And I don't remember what... I, <laughs> I couldn't really understand. And you why. didn't like any of them. I know. I couldn't realise why my. I, I wouldn't write him a bloody note. <laughs> I couldn't. Yeah. Well, even the horrible people who played football a lot and didn't like me and said, "Please, no." I've been defense. told to write this yeah, because exactly you're right. Yeah, exactly. Looking at it back at it now, I realise I was. Yes. Uh, but there's also pictures of me. I look like a skeleton. I look like I've come out oh. of a camp. And um, my parents said goodbye to me, but it turned out that they suddenly realised that it was bacterial pneumonia, which was incredibly mm. rare, and it was. It was bismuth that saved me. The element bismuth. Basically, just it's to... alive! Bismuth saved me! Anyway. Are you uh, sure it wasn't Dr. Frankenstein? No. So, okay. Okay. my point sure? is, I spent a lot of time in hospitals in 1978, yes. and they looked like the hospital in Day of the Triffids, mm. and I think that was kind of standard, bleak, terribleness of hospitals. See, I was wondering whether it was the same hospital I used for seeing a detective five years later, because it just had that oh. sort of slightly but it just it what i mean is that when it was supposed to be you know after and obviously people had gone down the corridors and knocked things over and it was it'd been about you know it'd yeah. been the the overnight everybody waking up blind kind of thing. 
I think people just... forget how bleak and terrible the seventies and early eighties mm. were in terms of yeah. in terms of rooms. That's my belief. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the new furniture floor at the Handstitch Warehouse Company. It's enormous, as big as a football pitch. You get the most famous names to choose from at low Houndsditch prices. And whatever you want for your home is here. The Houndsditch is just minutes away from Liverpool Street Station. And it's open tomorrow, Sunday, between 9.30 and 1.30, and all day, Monday to Friday. The new furniture floor, just one of five gigantic floors at the Houndsditch Warehouse Company. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah. To the happy, happy, lovely days of the later 80s. No, no, no. no exactly. as well. Anyway, so I lo love the shot in episode two when he looks down through that window in the hospital mm. and he sees them all at the bottom of the stairwell, all sort of like mm. writhing around Locked. each other. Locked in. Yeah, yeah, and I thought, oh, God, that that's the sort of shot that stays with you, isn't it? It's mm. the people's experiences as, as blind in this series are really quite chilling and they're just like, mm. oh, God, this you can put yourself there empathetically. Well, this it's is it. Awful. Yeah. You, you imagine... You know, I mean, I, I mean, I obviously work uh, or have worked in, but actually everything I do is visual. You yeah, know? I mean, every, every yeah. I watch, I watch a lot of television. I, I, you know, I write, I draw, and everything I do uh, involves a visual element. So to, to have that suddenly taken away, and then find out that all the people you depend on to help you are also in the same um, yeah. state. I, I, in many ways, it is one of the more terrifying aspects of this apocalypse. Definitely, is is that blindness? Because it does. It, you immediately realise. I mean, my dad always used to say. I mean, my dad was deaf. Yeah. My dad always used to say that people would be very sympathetic to blind people, but they weren't very sympathetic to deaf people because it's not very visual. Right. They can't tell. Yeah. Uh, but actually, I think the point is that I, I would say i mean not not to dismiss it but i think blindness is is worse and it, it i think it's interesting that that Wyndham picks out that one human vulnerability that weakness that generally would be such a leveler and be so devastating yeah and it literally is that one sense being taken away i mean you could take away your sense of smell you could probably survive you could take away your hearing you could probably survive because you could see things to do things i mean yes you you know there are disadvantages to that but blindness is it's terrifying quite frankly i mean Absolutely. you know you don't know what different you can't tell whether it's light or dark all the basics you know you say you can't see a label on something i know people do survive with uh, blindness and it's not to dismiss that but it's still to have it suddenly especially out of out of the blue like that must be the most terrifying thing hello Who's there? My name's Mason. Bill Mason. I'm in room 22. Mason! I I'm Dr. Soames. Oh, yes, of course, Doctor. I should have recognised your voice. What's the matter? You can see? Well, nobody came to unbandage my eyes, so I did it myself. I don't think any harm's been done. I can see as well as ever. I must telephone at once. Where are we now? What do you mean? Where are we now? Human eyes, damn it, use them. Can't you see I'm blind? But what do you make of this as a sort of... Because people talk about plot contrivances and how, like, you know, mm. he's in 
in the hospital with a triffid sting and that's mm. why he doesn't get to see the light mm. so he's not blind even though he was temporarily mm. blinded and mm. and then everyone's blinded by the lights and then they're therefore mm. vulnerable to the triffids there's an argument mm. that it's very contrived in a sense but i just feel that kind of just fits quite neatly i quite like contrivance and i think but how do you I, feel how does it sit with you i think it's interesting how utterly devastating it turns out to be because realistically um even the most viewed television show that's you know been watched by everybody is is less than 30 million mm-hmm. so half the population would probably have found something else to do they might not have been looking out the window so I, 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 this assumption that, you know, again, that sort of 98% of people would have looked at this. I mean, a few of them might have watched it on telly, a few people. We are a very can't be our society, you know. I, I feel that the fact that everybody would have gone to. I know there is a news report that basically says, oh, oh the rooftops around London are all crowded yeah, with people looking at think, this no, free I think spectacle. It would have been because you've only got three channels. So, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, I think back then, I think, but then <clears> I think. <throat> People would even well. There the... is. It's true, actually. I mean, yeah. you know, if you look at the, if anything from the fifties and sixties, people's idea of entertainment—they would literally, sort of, you know, a wagon would crash. There'd be a crowd. <laughs> exactly. So I think I think actually that it's a real captive audience. Although I think now it would be interesting because, as you say, like um, news reports, but also social media. Now, I mean, everyone mm. would go out and see them. Everyone's phone would buzz. So not not a person would be left. You see, we're living in an era where for some reason if there's a war going on the bbc decide they've got to broadcast their actual news program from the middle of the war zone their main and you feel no there's a studio in london which is safe why do you need to have why do you need to be broadcasting the actual news from there you can send reporters there who can report but you don't need to actually and I, i i I feel we've got to this point in society now where if people don't see it in front of their, literally in they front of their television, yeah. not in front of their own eyes, they don't think it's really going yeah. on. So you have to actually, we actually have to uh, place people at the scene, even though there's no practical reason why you should my, be doing My, my favourite one of recent days, or recent, mm. um, recently, was when Novak Djokovic was doing the Australian Open, or wasn't doing it, rather, because oh, he yeah. refused to do... Um, <clears throat> the jab. Yeah. Yeah, and they someone, the BBC sent someone to stand outside somewhere no, where Novak Djokovic trains mm. in wherever it is Serbia. Mm. Where is he? Croatia? Mm. I can't remember who he is. What mm. is he? Croatian. But it, basically, they sent someone all the way across Europe just to stand outside a gym where he's, mm. <laughs> and it's like just to sort of have some sort of link with Djokovic. Oh. And I was like, that's just ridiculous. Well, but, it's like those poor saps who have to sit outside whenever there's a royal birthing. <laughs> I genuinely think that if if Witchell could do it, he would actually report from inside the royal uterus. Yeah, he would. He would. Like, but I was I mean, granted special access to the royal uterus. Well, precisely. And of course, I mean that's all. I mean, it's funny whenever they announce a royal engagement, it's always that it's 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 like you know, it's like the horse botherers. It's like the the it's like the, the you know weighing up you know the the runners and the racers and oh you know, what what what. what I mean, has she got the right sort of thighs for bearing lots of children? No. It's just—it's just. Anyway, it's just I think appalling. I feel we're getting off the point. But can no, I? No, I don't know whether you answered my way, question. Did you answer my the question? The way about... we, 
interpret news events. Sorry, that was that's really what I was driving at. Is okay. the way we now have to we have to sort of so yeah. I think now it would be less apocalyptic because people watch it on the telly. But it wouldn't affect you, maybe your eyes. Then yeah, maybe no. Everyone would look. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, let's not worry about that. <laughs> I'm going to say I forgive the contrivances of the script because it yeah. makes for a rollicking good fun. I did want to say as well, when he leaves the hospital and he's, he, he suddenly sort of starts staggering at the enormity of what's going on around him. He's suddenly mm. like, oh, my God. And he has very much a, a Carolyn Seymour moment, Abby in Survivors. And I, I felt like, you know, what was missing was a, a sort of like a um, cherry picker shot up to show he was like one of the only few blind, uh, um, mm. sorry, sighted people left. Uh, mm. It was very much, please don't let me be the only one I felt. He's very matter of fact, though, isn't he? And yeah. That's the thing. It's almost like, oh, got a car, right? I'll drive a bit badly. And, um, you know, I mean, there's that terrible moment where that woman falls off the balcony, you know, right in front of him. And he's like, well, OK, that happened. <laughs> Which was that bit? When was that? Right at the beginning of the, at the top of the episode, there's that woman, the, I think the other patient he meets. And she go, and she goes panicking off. And, and next, you, next you look out the window and he's on a balcony and he's looking down and she's splattered on the No, that's Dr. Concrete. Soames. That's I Jonathan... just thought it was one of the patients. No, it's Jonathan Newth, that is. Oh, is it? Oh, OK, fair enough. So he leaves him in the room and then he goes back. So my question is, was Dr. Soames suicide? No, you're right. Yes, sorry, I've written it down wrong. Yes, because there was the, I thought the patient in the bed, wasn't there, with his leg up? Should we, should we start that bit again? So we don't... No, it's fine. It's... OK. <laughs> I can't so, remember what I was saying anyway. So my question is, is did mm. jo- Jonathan Newth's character, Dr. Soames, commit suicide mm. or... Mm. Or did he decide, oh, no, I can't cope with being blind and throw himself off the balcony? What no, he think? didn't. He, he, I think it was an accident. I think he do you think? hit the railings and went over. It's that, uh, you know. okay. That's what I think, but, you know. I think you'd be more tentative. You'd be feeling the railing and you'd feel the air on your face and you'd think, well, I'm not I'm not going to go for a burton over here. I yeah, wondered... but he's a doctor, so they're, they're arrogant, aren't they? Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm fine. Where's the stairs? <laughs> No, barging, barging forward. No, I think I think he'd be more tentative. I really do. I, I don't buy that. I th- I think he thought, well, I was a doctor. My eyesight was so important to me. Um, I can just hear lots of noises around me. I'm terrified. Mm. I'm going to do myself in. Mm. I think that was a suicide. Oh. Anyway, oh. we we meet Joe, don't we? Joe. Yes, can you do, can you clear up a mystery for me? Why is she called Joe Payton rather than Joe Playton when she was originally Joe Playton? What's the problem with having an L in there? We need to be told. She probably couldn't say it because um, she's actually Josella. Josella. <gasps> Josella. Yes. Which is even more bonkers, quite frankly. More of a bon- I don't know. Again, uh, star name. do you feel do you feel Nathan Turner? He said, "What we need is a character name." What do you reckon, Nathan Turner? And he went, "Oh well, there's Joe Vanker and Tegan." I mean, no, 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 no. I'll find the most bizarre name yeah. I possibly can. Yeah, yeah but she's no, called Joe Seller in the book, I think. Yeah, even more bizarre than isn't it? Really, jo- but it's Joe Seller Payton, and it becomes Payton. Apparently, the on part of it was because mm. John Wyndham felt that names that ended in on were luckier. Um, Isn't that weird? It's just so well, strange. You, you see, Linda Thorson, I was watching something about her yesterday, oh. and I hadn't realised that she'd lopped half her name off because it had Icelandic roots. Oh. Oh. It was something like 
Thorson Dottier. Joe Thorson or something. Oh, right. Not Jen, Thorson, Jen Thorson. Jen, something like that. And, anyway. and she just lost it and left it with the sun. Well, I, always, I always misspell it anyway. I always put S-E-N instead of S-O-N. Well, that's wrong. So Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I just, that's why I said it. <laughs> that's why. I just wanted to really make it clear how wrong that was. Here I am saying, I get it wrong because I do this. Yes, that's wrong. Yes, I know it. Blimey, Charles. So just to clarify for the podcast, Thorson yes. is O-N, not E-N, Martin. Have you got that now? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, okay. I'm Linda Thorson, and you may remember me as Tora King. Anyway... So, I think the set piece of episode two is Stephen Yardley's scene. Um, yes. So much so. Well, that's it. You actually get these one-off guest spots, yeah. don't you? This yeah. is the, throughout, really. Yeah. And, of course, we, we've talked about Yardley before in the XYY Man. We've we talked have. about him in, in small brown underwear in the XYY Man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, at least at least he does keep his trousers on in this. Yes. So that is a plus. There's some modesty. Um, he has a daughter, of course. <laughs> Yeah, now I think, don't you think he should go back and get that daughter? The the one, if they're going to die. Oh, and that's the other question I have. Big, important question. Does the disease only affect people who are blind? Ah, well, the disease is another mystery, isn't, isn't it? it? Again, this is, this is part of where I feel the, the, the nation, uh, the Terry Nation, yes. uh, picking up on things. Because it, it, it felt a very, uh, a very na- a nation trope, if you like. But, um, yeah, it's... It's really weird, I think, that it does seem to only affect the blind. And I don't know why that would be. Again, it could well be. I mean, to be honest, in, in a very late episode or a very late part of it, uh, when when he has a moment of reflection, yeah, uh, Bill Mason does do this thing about, well, maybe it wasn't a comet. Maybe it was a weapon that went wrong. Yeah. So maybe it is a, it's a chemical weapon as well. Maybe the people who were blinded by it were also... Infected. Exposed to this this yeah. disease, which because honestly, it, it does mention the disease in that. So it's, because it is, every it is possible. every sighted person we see, we never see a dead sighted person, do we? Mm. No. They all escape, even though they're yes. in amongst the city and there's cholera and typhoid mm. and all this other stuff. Everyone mm. we meet, they we see later. Mm. So yeah, I'm just intrigued by that. It wasn't clear. It but, does seem to be, in many ways, a quite convenient way of just getting rid of all those blind people staggering around. I know it does become quite in the sort way. of like, oh, the blind people can just die. It it becomes mm. quite chillingly because again, Bo, uh, when when uh, uh, Bill is kidnapped to to run his own little tribe for a while, yeah. mm-hmm. um, all of that tribe die, and when you meet Coker again. Um, all of his tribe have died as well. So it, it does actually seem that... Uh, I, d- I don't quite know what happens to Joe's tribe. Well, I think they were in the hotel. <laughs> they were in that big hotel with the escalator, weren't they? Right. I think they But they died. all seemed to be dying as well, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, so it was Joe's a common been, thing. Been, yeah. Well, maybe just... she was protected by her yellow jumpsuit. <laughs> yes, hazard, hazard um, jumpsuit. I just I, want to go I, back... What I need to be is discreet and not noticed and try and sneak around. I know, I'll put the brightest yellow jumpsuit maybe in the world. Maybe she was trying to pretend to be a triffid. <laughs> yes, there is obviously uh, the design team do like yeah yellow, don't they? They do. But I just want to say, what do you think of the Triffids? Oh, the Triffids are amazing. I love them. I think they're so iconic. They're exact. Mm. I think because irises are familiar, 
Mm. Um, it's clever that they did them this bright orange color because it just mm. it sets off against anything else they're next to. You can see them, mm. and they're just mm. so vibrant. And they've got that mouth. Oh and that, yeah, and, and that sting. I mean, it is a very effective because it plays into. I mean, all of those, all the plants you yeah. could pick because I I think from the the sixty two film, which is just basically a bush on legs. Yeah, they just look like runty yeah. shrubs. Yeah, because they could have been awful. I mean, that's the thing; they could have been absolutely awful. I mean, I feel that the the whole thing about Day of the Triffids is it stands and falls really on the actual threat and the design of the Triffids, and I think it's an absolute from that point of view, it's an absolute triumph. Did you see so. the two thousand and nine adaptation? Uh, I did not. So that was the one with Jolie Richardson and someone else. Don't remember who. Right. Maybe it was Dougie. Doug. What's the guy in Shetland? What's he called? Maybe it wasn't him. Anyway, I have no memory of what the Triffids were in that. But I think it was one of those adaptations that was more about helicopters blowing up anyway, you know. Uh, And they decided mm. there wasn't enough plot, which was ridiculous. Mm. Because they still did it. They I mean, they are a little bit rubbish at times. You know, the models uh, jiggle a little bit too much. I'm sorry. What did the you model, say? The model triffids, the tiny ones. No. When they, <laughs> they, they, they they wobble a little bit too much. Okay, from, from I think they. still think they're an amazing design, and I think yeah. No, I just feel that the, the model shots when they are ob- apparent, obviously model shots, yeah. they are a little bit. They but we can we can forgive bit. them that surely, surely. Well we, well, we have to, really, considering what the other programmes we watch. <laughs> exactly, exactly, come on. Um, but I just felt that actually sometimes those those model shots would have been better had they not moved at all, or sure. very, very, yeah. you know, very, very, very slight movement. Be- before but, we leave Yardley alone, I just want to hmm. say, he was excellent. I thought he gave hmm. a really good performance. He was kind of the everyman character who would say... It's, it's an interestingly uh, horrific moment, actually, because what he tries to do is he uses uh, emotional blackmail to try and make yeah. him not leave. How can you possibly leave us? Uh-huh. We need we need you. Don't Please don't go away. We'll be all right if you look after us. Yes. And, of course, that is basically, in microcosm, what then happens in on a larger scale with Coca and, and the other groups. Exactly. But, actually, this basically is a very effective way within the plot of saying to you... Oh, actually, this is what would probably happen. Mm. This is what people would need. This tells you that people, the blind people, need sighted people to help them, which explains really how the next two episodes unfold. Yeah. Be best if you stop with us for the time being, anyway. Why? Would be the best thing, wouldn't it? I mean, two who can see and two who are blind. We can manage like that. We'll give you shelter. And you give us help. That'd be best. Don't you think? One of the most iconic mm. shots in this was the woman sat on the side of the road clutching the box of Tide, the mm. washing powder, which, of course, yes. is no good to me. It's just, there's so many moments like that where you think, oh, God, that's mm. burned into my memory. I remember that, you know. Mm. It's Although. Yeah. No, I mean, I, again, it, it is one of those things, visually very interesting and, and obviously visually very interesting because it's it's shot in longs shot but, yeah but but the other thing that fascinates me about that is that, of course that if you've ever bought washing powder stinks to i haven't done it. <laughs> right, okay so so you actually wouldn't be clutching the you box would go uh, you'd sniff the box and, and say, go, no i'm not yeah, having that it's tied that's probably dog f- i mean yeah it, in some ways it would have been better if it had been win a lot you know i don't know <laughs> win a lot i wouldn't have the same thing the woman clutching a box of win a lot that would have been quite funny <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, maybe that's the French and Saunders version. <laughs> Except Dawn with her winner lot on the side of the road. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, oh, well, there's, there's, there's a remake. Yeah. The, the fascinating thing to me, of course, is he rescues Josella, doesn't he? Yes, from Hideous. Is that Max Faulkner? I made that up. Is it Max Faulkner, that guy? Looks like him a bit. Sure. I know we get Maurice Barry as one of the cars. Yes, well, we're saving him for later. Um, anyway. But, I mean, it's interesting, actually. Quite often I notice people, I think, I recognise that stuntman. He's bound to die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's from watching too, too, many, Doctor uh, too many of that sort of... Yeah, yeah. Those sorts of so, anyway, really Joe good. and Bill visit the Queen Vic. It really doesn't yeah. like Oh, the yeah, they go... This is the thing. They go to a pub. They go to a pub. Yeah. And it's all... F- I mean, everything, their priorities are basically fags and booze. Isn't it? <laughs> well, well, that's because they're terribly middle class. What is it? Does yeah. it make them willing the middle class to go to a pub? I don't know. I was really... And she's, but... she's, she's, she's proper Sloaney, isn't she? She's real... She is. She reminds me... Like... She's kind of a cross between Abby and Jenny and Survivors in the sense that she's got a bit of pluck, but she's also mm. a bit sort of like, oh, I need a man. So she's... Yes, but 1981, this is royal wedding year. This is Princess it Diana, is. isn't it? is. It absolutely so is. So that's, that's the look. Yes, exactly. what, what I think is best about that scene, though, is just the hands against the glass. The shoes oh, yeah. Of the hands of the people well, it's a bit like... Um, trying to get in. What's it like? It's like Robots of Death, isn't it? With the shadow mm. of the, the let mm. me in sort of thing. It's all right. They can't get in. There's another pub here. You I thought I was using panel to her. It's been me all morning. <laughs> half of me hasn't been able to take it all in. And the other half just doesn't know how to begin to cope with it all. There's a line, line that really made me think of Survivors was when she was talking about the dreadful loneliness being cut off from everyone else, which was very Jenny mm. and Survivors. Mm. And I was thinking, this is so derivative, this series, really, of everything that's gone before. But it does it very well, so it gets away with it, is what I mm. wrote down. Do you mind if I come with you? I nearly asked you whether you would. But I thought perhaps there might be somebody you'd be wanting to get back to. No, uh, my parents are dead and... I'm not married or anything. Yeah. It's not that I'm afraid of getting caught again. I'll watch out for that. It's just the dreadful sense of loneliness. Being cut off from everybody else. Although one of the reasons uh, Coker says for going back to, was it Tyndale? Yeah. After they've been on the road for a Tinsham. while. Tinsham. seen nobody. Tinsham when they've been on the yeah. road for a while he's, 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 he's never felt more lonely and that's why he goes back Yeah. so the loneliness aspect of it is quite yeah, and that must be bloody lonely to go back to that woman with a, <laughs> oh, that, with a pole up her arse winning the Christian oh, the God, foundation the, oh the god botherers yes. <laughs> I wouldn't go back there however lonely I was <laughs> I just thought, oh, typical, the godbotherers have survived. She, oh, she would have everyone be... ironing their underwear. She was insane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. But that uh, second well, episode ends with them in a car being surrounded by a crowd of blind well, people. Well, before we... Can... Mrs. Van yes, Mayer! Yes, So Mrs. Van Mayer and the director of the Tomb of the Cybermen attack Bill <laughs> and Joe. Bless them. <laughs> this is just before she landed the part in Tenko. I think. Right. Because she filmed... Well... It was filmed before, I think, but she then went right. must have gone straight to Dorset for the um, right. for the filming of series one of Tenko. Yeah. Wow! But um, I mean, it's interesting because she gets a credit because there's no lines in that first part, is there? But there is in the, the second, line, yeah. In the second, yeah. But yeah. 
there must be something to do with David Maloney being mates with Ken Riddington, who was the producer of mm. Tenka, who was the husband of Mrs. Van Meyer, Elizabeth Chambers, mm. and Morris Barry being a Doctor Who director and and mm. I think he produced things as well. So I think he got his mates in for those scenes somehow. Mm. There's definitely something. It's too weird a coincidence. Boost up the extras a bit. Yeah, with some mates of my mates or some, mm. yeah. But, yes. And that's someone else I've had lunch with, Liz Chambers. This, And I've had lunch with John, <laughs> I've had lunch with Dr. Soames as well, Jonathan Newth. So I've had lunch with well, three people from the first two episodes. Wow. I just do lunch with all these people. I just can't help it. I just, I just sit at home and make sandwiches. Well, while you're sitting at home having sandwiches, I'm eating lunch with, with these people. So I just want you yes, to remember well, that. <laughs> well, I, I just assume it happens every day. I mean, that's just, I assume every, everybody's uh, having lunch with more interesting people and I'm sitting at home thinking, peanut butter or cheese. <clears throat> oh, funny. So... They escape the car. They do they? in a, in, a, in a strange way because the car is completely surrounded. But then suddenly Somehow one side of it doesn't. One side, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's very odd. But that's that's your. We need a proper cliffhanger here, isn't it? Yeah. Interestingly enough, I'm told that when it was ma- uh, the co-production, the part of it was that it was going to be made in three uh, fifty-two minute segments. Uh, ah. As opposed to the six, so you know, for the foreign market, it was going to be th- a three-part. Uh, so this would be the ending of episode one. Yeah. So, but this would still be yes. This would have been. So you would still have had that break there. So you would have had to have a proper end of episode cliffhanger, and then. Move uh, but into you see, that doesn't work because the end of episode four is utterly shit. <laughs> it's really the shittest footsteps in the corridor. It's similar ah, to bloody yeah, so... John Pertwee and Belal oh. in in Death Oh yes. Oh look, <laughs> look a floor. <laughs> it's a floor. Oh no. Anyway. So, we have a very middle-class scene where they're drinking wine. They look like they're in a cocktail bar, and she's in a, a nice little black dress, or black mm. blouse, anyway. I've had to the tune! <laughs> Not from the, yellow, from the yellow monstrosity. Oh, for God's sake, we, we all are fighting for our lives. You fancy putting a cocktail frock on. Well done. Yes. Have you, well, you've, got, you've got your mate, you've got your mate, what's her name? The Abigail's party down the road. <laughs> Now, He's listen, Beverly saying, come round. Can we talk a bit about Emma Ralph? So she was okay. in a few things from the time. Like she was in Chess Game and she was in, oh, I don't know, various things. I've forgotten. But more interestingly mm. is that her father is the producer, Michael Ralph, who ah. produced Kind Hearts and Coronets and ah. the film The Blue Lamp as well. Ah. And her brother is, I think it's half brother, because I think Michael Ralph got around a bit. I think he was one of those. Mm. But her half-brother, I can't remember what he's called, maybe Peter, but he produced the drama we're doing for E. So isn't that weird? Wow. There you go. But we're not wow. telling people what that is. EastEnders, yes. <laughs> we're, doing, we're doing all of EastEnders for episode, for the next episode, all of it. Tell you, From yeah, the very beginning to the I'll, very end. I'll, I'll remember to watch 50 a day. It's absolutely knackering. <laughs> I've got up to Lou Beale's I've got up, I've got up to Lou Beale's death, so I think I'm doing quite well. Right. That's you lot sorted out. Bloody hell. I've only just got to Reg Coxie's death. I'd rather not be doing my own work. <laughs> anyway. <coughs> that was my Emma <coughs> Ralph moment. <coughs> Ralph. Ralph. Um Ralph. Ralph. So Episode three. Episode three. We... I tell you what I was gonna ask you. I was gonna tell you that's what is the is the triffic done? 
the Triffid God. You know, they made a big deal oh, of the Triffid so God in all the publicity. I don't understand. And it's the most shit weapon. It's a boomerang gun, isn't it, really? It's it is, of... and it's only ever seen once. And... and you think they just had the idea of the toy market in mind. I don't know, but it does really zing out as wrong. It's like, because yeah. it also has this weird sort of special effect on the top, which is obviously mm. a special effect. And we've never really heard where this gun has come from. Mm. If we'd understood it was from the research lab that they'd been making mm. this, that would make sense. But it's like... It does an effective decapitation. But yeah. the interesting thing is that actually when it comes to the mass attack, which happens later, and they they're, they're surrounded by thousands yeah. of them, they just use flamethrowers. Yes. Yeah. So it doesn't make any sense. So it stands out as a really weird aberration. Like, oh, that was a misstep. Why did we do that? So I well, the kids know. loved it. Exactly. We have them in the shops for Christmas. Everyone wants a Triffid gun. And remember, <laughs> 1981 Christmas was the Triffid gun Christmas, wasn't it? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that noise it made. Oh, yes. Oh, hilarious. And if you turn it turned a switch on the top. Pinging triangles across the room at Grandma. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly I want one. <laughs> yeah, cutting people's heads off. It's for fun, though. It's just fun. Just pretend you're a Triffid. Um, what else have we got in episode three? We have Morris of Colborne, don't we? Yes. We do, where you get introduced to Coca. Coca. The interesting thing to me, though, there's only one Triffid scene in episode three, which um, which is that uh, the man on the rope who gets got by the Triffid, Tom, who gets got by the Triffid. You know, the, the couple. Oh, yes, the and, vegetable quest you know, people. And she's been led out into the garden on the rope and yeah. put, you know, to the limit of the rope where he gets got. Yeah. And that's and again, it's like oh, we've forgotten this. It's fun. This oh, menace. We need a bit of menace in episode three because yes. nothing much else. It's quite talky episode know. three, and of course we get the inevitable yeah. cliche. Of, well, we go to we go to Henry headquarters, don't yeah, we? Go but to we, get, Swift's... we get the inevitable cliche that you always get in apocalyptic drama mm. is that one man to one woman is an illogical luxury. We all need to start copying oh, off of each other. Otherwise, oh, the eugenic evil. Yes. Or the eugenic woman. Sorry, the eugenic yeah, woman. The Charles yeah. Vaughan world of. Death. You must have three wives. Ooh, <laughs> yes. wow. We must all I'll become polygamous wow. immediately. Uh, yes. We need babies to feed the Triffids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so um, I'm, I'm always a bit. I'm a bit. I'm a bit. You know, the the cult of the parentals always gets me a bit down, quite frankly. But um, it's like, really? No, actually, you know, it's part of what got us in this mess, mate. But there we go. Well, the thing is, they but actually don't need more people if they successfully care for the blind people that are there. Precisely. Yes. Um, oh, but the blind people are basically useless now. Well, apparently, they kind yeah. of are very much fourth-class citizens immediately. If only somebody could come up with some sort of disease that made them all die. <laughs> exactly. That's convenient. Um, mm. <laughs> so I think that's Senate. So basically, that's... it's the army, isn't it? I mean, you've yeah. got Coca outside trying to persuade them to help yeah. and all this kind of thing, and you've got Henry headquarters, as I keep calling yeah. it, which is. David Swift. Yes. Uh, as Beadley. That's right. In ah, a one-off. Okay. And he's, he's being all terribly pragmatic. And, yeah. well, we need to do this, people. And you think, no, we don't need to do that, really, quite frankly. But off you, off you, off you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> off you foot. Uh, we also get some interesting um, insights into, into Joe Seller's character in that 
I know she's kind of being a bit jokey, but like when they're talking about the polygamy, she said, oh, yeah, it's fine with me as, us, as long as I pick the other two. And I was like, the mm. other two wives. And I was like, oh, gosh, that's a bit much. Yeah. I thought you were going to say about her. Oh, you think I'm filthy rich, don't you? <laughs> well, yes, actually, we, we saw the house your dad was dead. Yeah, in. you yes. are filthy rich. You live in Hampstead, <laughs> And darling. you had a maid, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> you are rich. But people who are rich never think they are. And that's exactly yeah. how well, she it, would and, talk. <laughs> and, of course, they aren't anymore, are they? Oh, because money doesn't matter. Ooh. Oh. Ah, uh, post-apocalyptic levelling. All the things uh, you think are dead, uh, anything that matters no longer matters. Uh, <laughs> well, they said they're taking some women who can't see. So I think it'll be something like every man who marries or lives with a girl who can see is also take on one or two blind girls as well. Makes sense, I suppose. Yeah. If I've got to have... Three wives? Will you be one? On one condition. What? I pick the other two. <laughs> anyway, episode three is a very confusing cliffhanger. I looked away to write a note and I was like, sorry, what's happened? Why is he on a bed oh, now? The, sm- the, the smoky fire wakes up somewhere else thing. Yes, yes. that was very odd. Yes. It's all, all they've set up tripwise on the coker and his people to yes. basically say, well, you won't help us, we'll break in and make you. <laughs> yes. So move... that's how post-apocalyptic society works. Trundling forward like a, a rattling mm. triffid into episode four, we have mm. the introduction of Coker's new gang-based stratagem. Well, this is the not the Emma Ralph Light episode, I She's Not In It. Yes. Exactly. Suddenly, having been introduced for two episodes, suddenly yeah, she had, had, had a bit of a bit of the old bouncy bouncy. Off she, <laughs> off she goes, never to be seen again. She does. And um, this is where we know it's doomed from the start, and we know mm. that Bill is not going to be convinced that this is something he's going to stick with. This running mm. around, keeping these this band of of blind people together, because he's already rejected a very impassioned plea from Yardley. So mm. if he can reject that so easily, he's going to reject these people as well. So there's kind of not so much drama in that, in that sense that we've already seen him decide this isn't for me. In in Survivors, they were always trying to set up communities and saying you need a community, yeah. you need a community, and, and and yet often they failed as well. Oh yeah, totally. Because you need a community that looks after the blind. Again, in some ways, it's a very, it's it's actually a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Philanthropic philanthropic sort of idea of society that Coker's trying to do here. We need to look after the weakest in society. People would say that's a little bit um, a little bit left-wing, a little bit socialist, wouldn't they? You know, but it's an interesting philosophy, and it fails. He somehow comes over as a very bad person, though, weirdly. Hmm. But Yes, well, because our heroes get kidnapped by him yeah. and get basically chained to, you know, uh, handcuffed to... So, the people, yeah, so one of them, one of them's John Hollis, isn't it? Um, yeah, so um, one of them's uh, he ends up being the boss in Prime Suspect, doesn't he? I was trying to work out who that was, I couldn't remember. Was it John Benfield? Was it? But um, I thought I rather liked John Hollis as Alf, he was a nice little character in that he was mm. he understood Bill's reasons why he didn't well, want to, to make him it. a cup of tea. Yeah, he told he, he told Joe, pr- he told Joe that he was you know, he gave Joe the message, he was nice, mm-hmm. and then he was suddenly gone. So, and then we get, of course, there's, there's that because they they're doing you know part of the day to day routine of foraging, and they get attacked by triffids, and he loses half of his 
Yeah. It's Team Triffids. And then he gets back and everyone's saying, oh, you're going to run away, aren't you? Because he's no longer chained up to anybody. And, of course, that girl offers herself up, which is which is one of those moments, I feel. Um, you know, the young girl yeah. who it was offers good. herself up to him. And he just, in the end, up not basically going, you know, thinking with his... Um, with his Johnson and basically yes. tells her, and tells her to, to tells her to go away. Yes, and, and of course, then she promptly dies. But there we go, which would have been convenient. But yes, <laughs> that's another convenience that she dies so immediately. They said she might be lonely. They said perhaps if you had somebody with you, somebody here, you might not want to leave us. Perhaps you'd stay with us. You'd be kind to me, wouldn't you? You see, I Stop it! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please stop it. Please go away. Go away, for God's sake! Will you tell them... I'll be staying. There were some moments in it where I thought, actually, and I know I've said this about other shows as well, you almost feel like there was a sort of longer story. And maybe they could have made a 12-part or a 13-part, you know, like Survivors. Yeah. Uh, and it sort of got compacted very much. And you almost feel like maybe it was going to be four or five or six well, parts, you know, six hours. And it suddenly feels that they've trimmed a lot. Well, I think... For... Uh, I mean, I, I it's, it's weird because the end of the final episode, you almost feel like they're setting up for a sequel that never happened. Yeah, exactly. But I think it's perhaps because they decided we're going to make this very location heavy. So just the expense mm. of that, that's yes. maybe why they decided this is six parts, only of 26 minutes each. We're going to get as much filming as we can, but it's going to be, it'll be too expensive, I think, to have doubled the the time. Well, I mean, you think about the average uh, six part Doctor in those days, you could get in about enough location for two episodes, and the other four would be studio, yeah. wouldn't you? And and this is probably, I think it's more like sort of sixty forty, isn't it, as a location? Yeah, to studio really. Yeah, I did like when she's when she's looking when he's looking for Joe, and he's telling all the blind people she's tall and blonde. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, they're blind, Bill. Have you not got it yet? <laughs> She's tall, blonde, and wearing yellow. And wearing yellow. Oh, yeah, we saw her. Oh, no, we Probably. didn't. We're all blind. No, no, no. Someone mentioned a banana going by. <laughs> it's just weird. Oh, dear. I did, anyway, basically, yeah. every, everybody dies. Everybody and he goes dies. Back to headquarters, yeah. And we get some sinister footsteps. Before we get to the sinister, sinister footsteps, oh. can I just say. There was a lovely moment where they showed the pointless British flag flying over the Senate House at the uh, university. And I was just like, yeah, that looks more pointless than ever. And I mean, it feels pointless to well, me you see, now. But there is. Yeah, the, the, there is this sense, isn't there, that people always will want normality yeah. as they know it to be restored. Yeah. Uh, and they will always basically... So these these will be the symbols they would cling on to when really it is nonsense. It's like it's that scene in the very first episode of Survivors where it's got, you've got that man who, who dies next to the tree, but he's got a big satchel full of money. Yeah. And and then and Jenny sort of looks at it and sort of goes and just takes the satchel. Yes. 
<laughs> and you kind of think, yeah, these things no longer matter. But I mean, later on in the, the end of episode, well, in episode six, when the you know the army turn up mm. and and they and they want to make Britain great again, and all, you just think, oh, shut up. Yeah, you know, well, you've well, got these. Yeah. You get these ideas of what society... I mean, you get Coker's idea of what society should be on his Isle of Wight thing, and you get the this army nonsense, which is based in Brighton. And it's just... Oh, you want... Basically, you want that shit back because you've got a tank, and it's just... Oh, and the small dick, probably. Um, well, yeah, but this is this is what... This is, again, I mean, the, the, the madness that we're living under now in our real lives... Yeah. Is, is people wanting some stupid idea of some notion of the past that is just bollocks. And an obsession you know? with nationalism. Total yeah. and self-interest. Like that wouldn't matter anymore. Yeah. The British got to keep up. But equally, I suppose that, that you know, society, I mean, all the so the kingdoms of Essex and Wessex and Sussex and Tussex and Nussex and all the, all you know, at some point they were all separate as well and they probably all had an idea of community as well. Yeah. And eventually we got you know, I mean, even the England, Scotland, Wales thing can be a little bit. Oh, shut up! Sometimes, a yeah. little bit. But... I just wanted to mention before we leave episode four behind mm. that um, we didn't talk about Gary Olson turning up. Um, no, who is Torrance in episode six? He's not named in episode four, but we're led to believe we're kind of the suggestion. If you remembered him, which you probably mm. wouldn't, three weeks later, is that this is the same guy who was clearly mm. a murdering criminal in episode mm. three. Turns up under the guise mm. of being part of the government in army uniform yeah. in episode six which is a, a very it's a it's a message isn't it it's a clear message a mm. through line of what mm. happened there but mm. um well that's that thing where where he's he's he, one of the uh, people gets they, they they walk into an ambush don't they and, and one of his people and he just basically goes up to him and shoots him in the head yeah yeah. And it's again a frightening moment and you, you imagine that and, and being blind and you've suddenly lost the people who've been guiding yeah. you about you don't know where you are and some bastard then shoots you in the head. Yeah. I mean, it's not a good day to be having. It's not. But on a lighter note, it's Ben from 2.4 children. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes indeed. Stay here. Shall be long. Dead. Get these cuffs off. You lot, keep moving straight forward till you hit the fence. Then follow the fence around. Move! Oh, come on! We have that shitty cliffhanger at the end of episode four, which, mm. which, yeah, would have been a very disappointing cliffhanger if this was the end of episode two. Mm. Um, but we have... What's happening? This is Tinsham Manor at the start of episode five, isn't it? With all the hymns singing. Oh well, we go there, but I mean, first uh, you, you you actually you actually get there, yeah, and, it, and yeah, the religioids, yes, because this is but, the second sort of post-apocalyptic trope that always comes up. So the first one's always sex, the second one's religion. And what is the place of religion? Well, I mean, the interesting and... thing to me is that that when when they're still at the army barracks, yeah. when it's empty and it's abandoned, and you get the sign on the chalkboard, I thought oh, it's it's. Dalek invasion of Earth. Yes, I've gone to Bedfordshire. <laughs> it's, it's Terry's back, you know. Yeah. And then they get in their trucks and off they go, and they find this community. Which I think the interesting thing about the two scenes where they go to um, Tinsham, it's the first one 
when they arrive, the gates are closed and it says, please close the gates. Yeah. And, keep... and the second time, he, when he goes back, the gates are wide open. Yeah. So obviously some... And I think that's a very interesting visual way of, of seeing that things have gone wrong. Yes. I, I quite liked that subtlety of that, yeah. actually. It just yeah. it felt, you know, closed gates, open gates. And, you know, yeah. I did like that. But yeah, it, full of god botherers, basically. So Christian, And we understand sorry. this thing that, you know, she says these people who did, we didn't get up with because they were saying everything should be subservient to morality mm. and she was mm. angry about all the polygamous sort of like plans mm. but she kind of goes the other way and it's kind of like you get these extremes thrown up in these post-apocalyptic dramas mm. that some people are so pro-religion and just let let god just do whatever he wants with us and like we're just going mm. to accept it and you've got the other mm. people who are desperately trying to survive to the by overreacting to the situation and mm. wanting to have sex and have as many babies as they can to feed the triffids, mm. and well, Coca's, it, it's just Coca's response, isn't it? Is that the intentions are good, but it's not going to be enough. It's, but it's just you know, people that, get so extreme, yeah. and he he's really extreme, and he he doesn't win over Miss Durant when he's trying to explain what they should do because he's we number one he's mansplaining and he's really yeah. aggressive about it. Well, yeah, that's not great. Yeah, no. It's not a great scene. But number two, he's too extreme about it. And he's like, we have facts. Mm. It's evidence that unless we're a community, then this, that and the mm. other. And yet I'm, mm. I was sitting there thinking, like you were saying about the communities and survivors, like none of them worked out. They all disbanded. Mm. And it's like, there's no facts that a community will, will work better, actually. Well, self-interest, I think, always is at the heart of everything. Yeah. And I think also the problem is that extremism is part of the way people gravitate to the extremes you know they they may have been a bit religious but suddenly that religion becomes the center of their world and yeah. or or they may have been a bit you know eugenic and that becomes the center of their world and i think people gravitate to the extremes in any any terrible situation yeah. i mean they do in wars you know it's yeah not, it's interesting That's it's a good not point. it's not an unusual thing this place could be made a going concern but only if it's properly organized we've got good and well protected land we've got Enough cattle left alive, you've got a good fresh water supply, you've even got an electricity generator, which, by the way, I fixed, and it's about time somebody had. And what you must do at once is build up your stocks from outside, get as much as you can whilst it's still there to take. It's not robbery, it's self-preservation. I've already planned for the blind to be taught to do useful work. Your vicar wanted them to learn basket weaving. Now, what use is that to anybody? And you mustn't. You mustn't let him persuade you to bring any more blind people here. You can just about cope with what you've got, if things are properly handled, that is, any more, and you've had it. If you don't all starve to death, then the ones who can see will have both mental and physical breakdowns trying to cope with the ones who can't. This is not speculation. This is predicted fact. I wanted to mention how much um, Coker reminded me of Greg Preston in this episode ah, when he repaired well, yeah, the, electric he repaired the electricity yeah. generator and he's like, oh, that needed and doing. And he did and go back to to work yeah. with them didn't yeah. he i mean that's the that's the thing i mean after this driving around for weeks and weeks he said you know i'm going to go back there because at least there's people there. yeah and the fascinating thing to me uh <laughs> i was what when i was watching this because they were driving around on these roads endlessly and i sat there going where are they getting the diesel from and then then you cut to this scene where they're actually trying to put the petrol in yes or the diesel in them so i thought oh yeah they must have known that everybody would have been sat yeah. at home going where are they getting the diesel I have to say, this is the only part of the of the serial where I felt there was padding. There was an awful mm. lot of, of, of them wandering around in vans and a lot of dramatic, urgent mm. music. But for a mm. while, not a lot was happening. Until... We're seeing the world yeah, is empty. Until Pat Gorman thing. turns up. Is it Pat Gorman? Oh, 
with his white flag at the pub window yes. and you're thinking, hmm, he's a stunt man, he's not going to last. No. <laughs> and I like that little scene of the Triffid waiting and the tongue just flashing mm. out. That was good. And that and that is a and, and, he, and that's when he just just blows its head off, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> and, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, you think, yeah. Where's your trivet gun now? So, so was that, that was that when he used it? Was that when he used? No, it? no, it wasn't. That was the shotgun mm. blowing it off. Um, mm. Then Coker in one episode changes from Greg Preston into Charles Vaughan, and he starts saying, "We must have a community." I've been thinking about this very hard. Yes. And and then we have to learn to make plows and plowshares, and we have to. Oh well, I genuinely said I've written that down. I've, I've literally written for that survivors chat. I thought yes. that basically that scene was almost lifted. It was almost word for word. All the knowledge is mm. in books. We must teach. We must experiment yeah. and all that stuff. And it's like mm. it's 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 good stuff, but it it was so tropey for me. Just because we've had it so many times since, mm. and not just in survivors, but in so many things now. The other weird thing, though, I thought about that. Yeah, and and I know maybe maybe this I'm I'm not the most romantic of people, but Bill's obsession with finding Joe, when which really makes very little sense when you think about it, considering how many people have not survived. I know I I know it drives the plot. She, maybe she's really really good in bed. <laughs> So good that nobody else could possibly match Maybe her. she would do things that would make a whore blush. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's, it gets a bit creepy at times, how how obsessed he is with her, though, you know. I mean, considering the... Well, I mean, I mean, I know they, I mean, they didn't exactly go through a lot in that sort of 24 hours they knew each other. Hanging from the ceiling. Hold on, he's probably just thinking, you know what? There's there's a there's an apocalypse. I never had a chance. I was so dull in my job at the Triffid. Yeah, I don't think they. With a with a yeah, classy exactly. Edmund Pegg and him were not getting any sex. <laughs> I think they were looking at the keep, keep giving fevered glances at each other. They were that they were that <laughs> lost or, or shagging the odd Triffid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He said, oh, I saw a fish walking. Oh, no, that's horrible. <laughs> I know I said some rude things, but that you just made it worse. That's horrible. <clears throat> I did want to say well, as well, Coco was disgusting when he said to um, Bill about finding her. He said, when you find her, pack her up and bring her back to the <laughs> I'm like, what? She's not a fucking parcel. She's a woman. Throw her over your shoulder. <laughs> Chuck her in the car and bring her back. When you drag her back to the cave by her hair, honestly, flipping We'll use her as breeding stock. Oh, terrible. But then you yeah, have this yeah, yeah. really overtly romantic thing that happens, which would never have happened in Survivors. Um, I mean, episode, mm. series three of Survivors is Jenny and Greg never meeting each other ever again, which is just painful. Mm. But mm. in in this episode five, we've got... Bill looking for Joe, finding her, and they have such a romantic reunion, and they're kissing in the rain. Get a room. Kissing in the rain, like in Notting Hill. Um, it's far more hopeful than survivors in those moments, and I was just surprised how hopeful that was. Hello, Bill. You've been a long time. Yeah, because because on the way to finding um, Joe, he finds this very well this young girl. Susan he? He finds this Susan. Susan, yes. yes. And um, 
yeah, and and uh, it's kind of like it's weird. And her dog, and her dog, of course. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, he, he pauses to help bury a brother who's, who who yeah. she doesn't know what's happened to, but he's fallen over because yeah. he's been got by a trophy. Yeah. And I just feel that. The old, the older man travelling with the younger. She's bloody lucky it was him. Oh, I see. But not every, really not every person's like... a paedophile, Martin. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that in those circumstances, those post-apocalyptic circumstances, she's incredibly lucky that Bill is actually a decent human being. Okay. Because of the of the some of the people we've met are not decent human no. beings, and I just think that's very interesting that that there was that. That lack of suspicion, okay. That that immediate trust in 1981 that I think now we might not have, you know. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think I I did. I actually thought that the the flashing lamps thing was quite clever. I I I wrote that down. I thought well, that's actually quite I quite like that. I know it's quite contrived, but yeah. in, you know, flashing his lights at the. And and someone responded. I did. I think. Oh yeah. I I thought I'd forgotten about the truck lights. I'd been sat there going. Oh, I need a torch. I need a torch. <laughs> but there we are. Good. Um. So they go back to tension. It's all gone tits up They're there. And they go back to the cottage. And you've got eight triffids. You see as many as eight real prop triffids. Mm. I thought. Oh, they had at least eight that, then. In the field. That scene at the end, actually. That that sinister. Oh, gorgeous. Ending where they where they're just sort of moving. You know, you get silhouetted against yeah. the sky, don't you? Brilliant, just, isn't it? That, that very effective yes. episode ending. The Triffids at the end of episode five have effectively won. Yeah. And you think, well, they've they've got no chance. We're on our own then. We've got to try and make a go of it here. We will. And of course, six years later. Six years later, yes. So we have mm. those gorgeous little photos, doctored photos of London with greenery all over them, which I don't know. They were they were nice little, like Piccadilly Circus and Telecom Tower. Yeah. And John has a big beard, and and <laughs> and Joe has big hair, long hair. So yes, says long wig. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and so time has passed, and, and the and girl Su- has all grown up. She's Susie now, not Susan. She said, "I don't want to be called mm. Susan anymore. I'm called Susie now, and I want new jeans." <laughs> so there, I want jeans. And they have uh, a boy that they've had, that Joe and Bill have had, mm. called David. They're very, mm. very David, Susan, Bill. I mean, apart yes. from Gisela, everyone else is very ordinary names. Oh, you mean, you mean, you mean David and Susan in twenty first century. London. Oh. What? Oh. <laughs> oh! It's obviously an allusion 20... to um, Dalek Invasion of Earth. The no Dalek question. Invasion of Earth, of course it is. Everything is, yes. <laughs> yeah. The chilling line that comes up there where, early on in the episode, which shows, mm. underlines what they're up against, is that a thousand Triffids came back within ten days. Mm. <gasps> yeah. like, oh my God, this is horrendous. Well, yeah, but I mean, you're, you're, you, you do a bit of gardening, don't you? You know what dandelions are like. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you hack at them, they're back. You know? Yeah, there's worse things than dandelions as well. But well, precisely. Yeah, it's 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 a true thing, but it's terrifying. 
and the fact that they're only in those numbers there because they're after mm. the blood. Oh, I meant to say in the, yeah, in the yes. previous episode, we got the thing that showed the carnivorous nature, which was the tongue mm. on the back of the person yes. taking yes. the blood, I guess. Very vampiric shot. Mm. So we get the lovely moment with a dramatic moment where the Triffids are broken through the fence and they attack the house. I mm. like that. Mm. Yes. And uh, again, that's because uh, they. Well, basically, it's war, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's actually quite. Uh, that's an interesting scene in the kitchen where it's just the tapping, and then she opens the curtains, and the triffids are there, and it's like that is actually a very, uh, very cinematic moment. And of course, it, basically, they they have to declare war on the triffids. And the fascinating thing to me is that scene where you just see the smouldering remains. Yes, that's of lovely. all those triffids. Yeah. I think that's really nicely done. Tears. We won. Yeah. And of course, then they have a day at the beach. Yeah, and this is where I get confused because when they're at the beach, they say, well, we're safe here because there's shingle here and I can't mm. imagine Triffids walking on shingle. Rather than having a joke mm. about it, load up your fucking car with shingle. Honestly. And put it around your house. Put it around your house. Mm. There's all that shingle. Mm. It's just like slugs not getting in a pot because of the bits of chippings mm. you put around them and stuff. And I was just thinking, there's a shingle solution here that you're not looking at. Oh, but I forget, you don't want to solve this problem, do you, Bill? You just want to say the Triffids are not, are just plants. I don't know. I felt there was something there. But it's, of course, it's also a great day to go to the beach because it's chucking it down, isn't it? I mean, oh, yeah. It's a typical English it is, day at the it beach. It is, that works, that fitted. <laughs> Let's have a lovely day at the beach, but it's raining. Yeah, and there's no sand. Would Triffids mm. be able to walk? Oh, we do. be okay on sand. Shingle would be bad, yeah. But we do get that um that scene don't we about about you know uh you know about the, she's I, I mean it's funny i i she sort of said oh i'm happy i'm, I'm at the way you're dead mate you're dead i mean that's, basically anyone declares themselves happy you think oh they're doomed really in these things so, so that surprised me by she not being but know. also it was really you knew it was bad things going to happen when she said let's just stay for one more summer one more wonderful summer one and you're more thinking, lovely oh, summer God, you're oh, all dead lovely, you're all gonna die because 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 <laughs> Because Cocos turned up in his helicopter. We should point out that Cocos turned up in his helicopter and said, "Come to the Isle of Wight, man." Oh yes, lovely of course, time. I forgot about that. Yes, we're having a and lovely he's time. Two over helicopters. There. No, no, they are they at <laughs> learning the to fly helicopters. Are they at the Isle of Wight, man? They are, aren't they? Yeah, yes. Mm. Um, but uh, and then you get that, that moment where they talk about the truth and 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 how we destroyed the world. Was it a comet? Was it a weapons? Was it accident? You know. Was it something else? Was the disease part of that? Was it basically an enemy attack, yeah. really? Uh, although, again, because we've seen literally no sign of any other countries or any invaders, we've got to, apart from the Triffids themselves, we've got to assume that all the other countries were affected in the same way. But it is quite a reflective moment, that, and I thought that was, you know, you know, because he's actually saying maybe it wasn't a comet, actually. Maybe it was something humans did to themselves. And, of course, breeding the Triffids for oil it's something the humans did for themselves in the name of making a profit. What are we going to tell the children? Sooner or later, they're going to want to know why all this has happened. Do we tell them that the world was wonderfully clever, but so very wicked it had to be destroyed? Or do we tell them it destroyed itself by accident? You tell them the truth. We destroyed it. We created the Triffids, we know that. We didn't create the comet. Was it the comet? 
do you mean? Do you know how many satellites were going on up there? How many weapons? Or what was in the weapons? I felt that they must have had a very, very lonely six years because the joy and the ecstasy at seeing Coca again, who, mm. I mean, Joe particularly, I mean, Coca's literally only just been her captor who mm. forced her into handcuffs to move around it with mm. a gang. And for her to be overjoyed to see him felt very odd to me. Mm. I was thinking that the winter nights are very slow there in the south. Oh, maybe it's uh, Bill, you know, when they were on the road all that time in those trucks, maybe maybe, maybe he's talked about those those lonely days in the trucks with Joe and he was actually, oh, with Coker, and he was all right, really. Okay. He was okay. He's convinced yeah. her in the... <laughs> So then, oh, he ever shows up. He ever shows up. Give him a big, lovely kiss, and then chain him up in the, in the <laughs> yes, in the, in the cellar. <laughs> so then we have Gary Olsen returns as he gets a name, Torrance, and yeah, Torrance the Tank. And essentially, he's got the same plan as Coca, hasn't he? Really, mm. stick you with a load mm, of blind people of. that you have to sort out. But I'm thinking, well, are there any left now? There's mm. a few. Um, and become a feudal lord with a clan working for you. And he even talks about mm. succession, doesn't he? And your sons. Even though he's got a son well, this and a is daughter, again, your this sons idea of can take over. Again, isn't it? Yes. You know, which they're doing from Brighton. Yeah. Um, um, which is kind of interesting. And what I particularly liked uh, is that Joe, it was Joe who was clever enough not to react. And just mm. to say, oh, okay, do you want some food and <laughs> drink? And she's yeah. like... It's so good that she sort of leads that and it's not Bill. I thought mm. that was nice equality there that she's mm. like, right, we've got to get them drunk. We've got to sort this out. But I, I liked it because usually in these After things... After all we've been through, he wants a war, which I thought yes, was an interesting... Absolutely. Oh, the guy, the blind guy being so... Couldn't believe mm. that that was what he was after. But again, the real, the biggest threat is because they want to take... You can, you can only have this many people or oh, we need to take Susan away. Susan. That's basically the clincher yes, for why they... Because... Well... She's now... They kill them, don't they? What? They kill them, don't they? They basically sabotage their tank and leave them to the Triffids. I mean... <laughs> I guess, but they do, kill... you, do you care? I don't. Well, I just think it's an interesting thing because they, they're all quite cheerful and smiley about it. <laughs> I know, I think that's fine. Hurrah, we've care. killed the horrible men. Care. They're horrible. But um, I thought I got very strong Sound of Music vibes when they left. They sort of like got the car out of the garage. <laughs> it was at the dead of night, and I was thinking, yes, the Von Trapp family well, singers. <laughs> well, I thought it, that's the thing that got me actually. I mean, as as we sort of get towards the end of this, the, the I felt it had a very sudden ending. Oh yeah, really, extremely. I mean, I I almost felt there was at least another episode yeah. in there. Uh, I mean, and that whole actual that thing with the the tank and everything that felt like that really should be the start of the final episode, and and the bit with Coca and the, yeah. Uh, Chopper and the Island White community should have been episode six. It felt suddenly they'd rammed a load of story into ten minutes, really. Yeah. And what gets me is because it basically there's a sort of voiceover, isn't there? You know, w w will we come back? Oh yes, we'll come back one day. <laughs> one day yes. I'll be back. Yes, until we'll then. <laughs> until then. <laughs> and and literally nothing about their escape addresses this this Brighton bunch. They, we no. assume they're going to try and get to the Isle of Wight yeah. somehow, but but there's no actual sense that because there are factions aren't yeah. out there. Now I'm assuming that uh, eventually, basically, Brighton's going to declare war on the Isle of Wight, and yeah, uh, and yeah, it's it just suddenly feels that it stops, and you almost feel actually 
what happens next would be a fascinating second series that never happens. Yeah. And I know it's not in the book and all that. But then of, if it, but it just, yeah. it just stops, and yeah. it's like, oh. But then that can. But make... then it's faithful to the book. The book just stops at that point. Yeah. Well, precisely, and indeed, if you uh, think about the birds, uh, the Hitchcock film, that sort of does the same mm-hmm. sort of ending as well, an ambiguous ending. But it seems very sudden. You don't, you don't even get that sort of sweeping pullback or anything. No. It's just. Boop! Yeah. Music. Here we go. And in some ways, that makes I I felt it made the whole six part thing, six half hour, feel slightly inconsequential. No, I, I I got the exact same feel, and I think it's because we didn't get even get a long shot. Like the it was just mm. a, a shot of the Land Rover next to that tree, and it's like no, mm. you should have pulled away, um, mm. in some way and and shown something more. But the other thing I the think future, that should have been un- big wide world. The thing, the other mm. thing that should have been underlined is that you know. His big speech, Bill's speech, is about we must drive every, until every Triffid is driven from this land. And that mm. ignores the real problem of survival. Until every Triffid is, is it, driven from this land. But thank you, Churchill. But the real problem <laughs> is men. More. The real problem is other men. And that's the problem I think yeah. I have with Day of the Triffids is that the Triffids are in as the evil people, evil guys, mm. the bad guys. But the reality is other men are just as dangerous and just as likely to mm. kill you. And I think the kind of Day of the Triffid story kind of queers the pitch, as it were, a bit. And really the main mm. problem of post-apocalyptic survival and with human existence is other people. And mm. hell is other you people. may drive the Triffids away or kill them all, but you've still got to deal with all the other people trying to survive, and that's going to be just as problematic. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Shall we ever be able to come back? Oh, yes, we shall. We'll work and we'll learn. And then we, or our children, will come back and drive every Triffid from this land. So it kind of feels, uh, in the end, like I say, slightly inconsequential. Again, maybe if it had been like six yeah, hours, exactly. you feel this, this would have felt like a significant drama series. But it's kind of like, it almost feels like a... A, a, a jolly evening filler a bit like and I'm, I'm hoping we might actually do this one day the nightmare man oh has i like the same, nightmare man yeah that's good that has that sort of four-parter yeah. thing but the, the just sort of hops out into into the schedule appears disappears and yeah it's gone yeah and it, it does feel like it doesn't feel uh, as an event piece of drama I mean, it's you know it's it's it's, a, it's like you say it's got lovely moments it's got memorable moments it, it sort of works as a as a story as an adaptation but somehow it feels like, yeah, and then what? Well, to me, it feels a bit like a three-hour film, quite a long film. If mm. it, if it was you'd watched it all together, that would be like, oh, that was mm. that was quite a long but good film. But mm. there's not enough to make you care about the characters, you know, really mm. enough. I felt like Bill was quite mm. one note, really, and he was a really mm. strange view on the Triffids all mm. the way through. And I think if it had been mm. six fifty minutes, as you say, we would have got a lot more depth into their characters well, and and why. Well, even the, the three part version might—I don't know—maybe just the fact that it is split into the, yeah. the six, it might you know it might hold together better if you watched it as three chunks of fifty minutes. I don't know, but I mean that sort of does feed in, doesn't it? Because in that. Uh, episode where, where Coker sort of tr- tries to persuade him to go to the Isle of Wight. I mean, it's about having a research post. You'd be the ideal person. But again, it sort of feels tagged on. It doesn't actually feel like it's been emphasised all the way through. Occasionally he says, I'm a Triffid farmer to people. Yeah. I was a Triffid farmer. Yeah. I was a Triffid farmer. Yeah. I was a Triffid farmer. Yeah. You know, it doesn't 
feel that that means i mean like you say his, his research seems to be like no there's no <laughs> nothing no. going on nothing no all the all the the fact that they've planned and tried to destroy they're just, it they're no, just plants. Just instinct. They're just plants yeah <laughs> but um the other thing i wanted to say is that it feels like a graphic novel to me right. i could see this these six parts translated into mm. a graphic novel it's very yeah, comic strip. Yeah. It's just because it's very much. I can see the panels now, just because it's not mm. about lots of conversation. It's occasional yeah. lines, but it's quite dialogue light. It's more pieces. about the looks. You yeah, get the set pieces of the attacks. I can see it as an amazing graphic yeah. novel of this mm. of this particular adaptation. Mm. But um, and I think yeah. it's interesting as well. I mean, because I mean, we are. I mean, ultimately, we are sort of talking about drama. Do you feel as drama? Do you feel it feels? dramatic do you feel the performances do you feel like they're being phoned in do you feel like there are moments that you think oh i mean i say i think Stephen yardley's scene is actually quite a powerful scene yeah. there are but there are moments in it which sort of feel like oh we're acting in a horror movie so we don't have to try as hard yeah i well, i think that, that, that i didn't want to put it like that but yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> but i just felt that the performances were very flat i think the performances extent. were adequate um mm. they f- suited the lack of depth that there was in it, really. Mm. Um, I think John Dutton's quite an interesting, charismatic lead, but he could have been mm. more charismatic if played mm. by another actor. And I think Emma Ralph, she looks nice, and but then mm. I don't think they were asking her to do anything much more than look nice and say a few of the lines. I felt that mm. she could have been more interesting and have more of a side mm. to her. Um, I feel actually once the action sequences, she gets she gets better in the in the scenes in the in the last two episodes than yes, the, definitely. the first two episodes. Yeah, yeah that's um, that, that's the case in point. I'm not a fan of Morris Colborn, but he, he brings he does brings some acting chops a bit too. He's got it. a gravitas. Yes, thing, he? yeah, he does. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I do wonder if it could have been stronger with other other actors. But I guess, well, again, it's yeah. it, it's that straight the strange thing to me is that these because you get these one off scenes you know you get to david swift doing his scene and you and it's like you almost feel that if if some of those characters have been seeded through a bit more i mean the you know, like the gary olsen thing just picked up on again yeah throughout for some reason there's a sort of lack of unity in using that sort of one guest star a week system which yeah. is almost is i enjoyed it i thought i think it's a very good and faithful adaptation but mm-hmm. and i th- but I do think it's more... I, I think it's ideal for teenagers watching. Um, and it, it's it's got some thrills. It's It's got some spills. But I, as I said, I think the whole concept, John Wyndham's concept, is, is really lovely keying in in a very Doctor mm. Who way into people's fear of... Like, you know, some people don't like plants and, you know, yeah. and there's a lot of crinoid stuff is kind of, kind of fun. But it kind of did takes it sit a... well with your memories of it, though, when you watched it as a, as a nine year old. I mean, did you feel it was, you know, when you revisited it now, did you feel, oh, actually, I'm, I'm you know, I, did you remember it from being nine? Did it did it still resonate? Yeah, it did. And I think I've got a lot of nostalgia for it. But mm. um, but I think when I was nine, it was much more about the, the different action moments, yeah. really, that I really stuck with me, like the supermarket raid and. And yeah. yeah, all of that stuff. But I don't know. It's the perform as you say, the performance was were a little flat of the of some of the actors. Does it just look like telly? Is that part of it? 
does it look like it was made for telly? Well, I don't know, because there's so much film. That really surprised mm. me. That's the thing that shocked me this time, mm. was how directed it felt. And not in a, mm. look, I'm directing way, but just more mm. that people had really thought about the shots. Mm. And that it was kind of arty, and that mm. surprised me. And that actually made it feel more like film to me than a TV series. Mm. But so, having seen it again, what sticks with you now? I mean, is it is it the scene with, you know with the cars surrounded and they're all banging on the windows and you're going, oh, that's Mrs. Van Mayer, <laughs> <laughs> or, or is it you know is it? Is I think it's, it's definitely with the, the Triffids. It's the Triffids and the, the Triffids themselves in the countryside, yeah. like on yeah. that motorway bridge, and I think it's all of that stuff is so blatant and brutal. I love it. They are quite frankly a terrifying creation and a gorgeously realized one from, a, from an effects Absolutely. from the sort of bbc visual effects department they are yeah. astonishingly well realized yeah. and in many ways are the you know the high high point of of the production and we we must if we're talking about the triffids we must talk about the scene in alexi sales stuff where we have two of the triffids from the drama in a, at a cocktail party <laughs> 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 Which I meant to track down and watch because I remembered that happened, but I haven't found it yet. I haven't looked at it for it yet. But but I think there's they, they are the Triffids I used in that. <laughs> I just imagine them both going to the BBC canteen at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I forgot to take my, uh, my Triffid off. Yeah. What, what, are you, what are you filming, Triffid? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Funnily, what you got lined up? Oh, well, Bit of I've got an Alexi Sale next week. <laughs> <laughs> Alexi Sale. Yeah, no, 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 they've got this new soap started in a couple of years. I thought yeah. I might sort of try and be in a garden for that. Anyway, talking of that soap, you've got to go and watch the rest of EastEnders, Martin. I know. <laughs> All of it. <laughs> I know. Tell me about it. No, in fact. You should, you should get, I, I, I might actually get Paul to watch it for me. I think. <laughs> Yeah. He likes his soap, so I get him to watch. Yeah, it. yeah. Dear <laughs> Mr. Chandler, please watch all of your standards, then somehow fill so my I don't brain have to. with all of the <laughs> important things I need to say. Thank I, you. Know, I was I, I for the first four or five years, I, I was an absolute huge fan. Of oh, I used to watch it a lot, but I, I stopped yeah, a long yeah. time ago. And the last one I watched was well, the one the with one. Michelle and Jeff. I know. Yeah. You told me no, we know where Sue Tully left in a taxi. Oh, well, Sue Tully left. Time. Yes. Yeah, in a taxi. That was the last one I saw, and um, uh, which. But I was up until that point, I was absolutely obsessed with watching it. Yeah. I was, and it was really weird. I used to. I even used to write down the episode endings in my diary. You know, oh bloody hell! Really, that's you know, bad. You didn't tell me that. I was. No, I was really quite. You know, think I want smitten with the idea of, and, and it was all to do with this. Isn't the BBC great thing that I had going oh, on I back see. then? But there we are. I think I wanted to work for them. It never happened. Yeah. Right. Right. I think we're done. I think we're done on ELD Triffids. So next time we are not doing EastEnders for E. Do not worry. But we are doing something. We're not going to say what it is now, but we're actually doing something that's a TV film, actually. So I don't know whether it's a bit sneaky, a bit naughty, but it begins with E. E by Ek. And that's what we're doing next Ah, well, I looked it up. And I actually I thought, oh, well, this is a film. This is a film, this. Ah, right. But it's not. It's a t- it, it was on TV as a film, so I think... Before it was, it was not released in the cinema, so I'm counting it. Fair enough. So, and I'd never heard of it, so that'll be uh, fun. Really? Right. <laughs> Emma Ralph's half brother would be very angry with you. <laughs> Ralph, 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 Ralph. Right. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye, you too. <laughs> See
And I'm now also That's recording. So no, I'm not. Yes, I am. I am recording on my my yeah, MacBook. Everybody's recording. All everything's right. Studio, everything's running. <laughs> welcome to the welcome to the podcast, Andy. <laughs> Good day, sport. <laughs> I can't do an Australian accent to save my life. Yeah, hi. How's your how's your cricket knowledge? <laughs> I've decided I don't like talking about drama anymore. We're going to talk about sport. <laughs> 